This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on LinkedIn. <laughs> and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, where if you pledge $1 per month, you get access to over 100, ex- uh, almost 150 now, um, exclusive B-roll episodes of us just kind of shooting the breeze and uh, talking about random topics, sometimes movie and TV related, sometimes Stephen King related, sometimes soup related. <laughs> uh, so check that out, $1 level at Patreon. At $2, you get that plus. TV and book reviews and reactions from from your, my myself. I'm from from you. No, from yours truly. Um, I have episode reviews of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and I also have in the pipeline episode reviews of the new Apple TV Plus uh, adaptation of um, of of uh, oh, Isaac Asimov's uh, Foundation. Uh, series of books so that is coming each time um before uh, that's going to coincide with the release of each episode on apple tv plus each time an episode drops on apple tv plus a new recording of me talking about that episode is going to be on patreon so that's at two dollars and then at five dollars you get all of that plus some commentary tracks and immediate movie reviews and then finally at ten dollars you get all of that plus early access to content and unreleased content as well Um, i'm trying to be better about posting early access to stuff so for example we have a very very delightful um, episode of tower junkies that's going to as of this recording be posted tomorrow but Patreon supporters at $10 uh, at the $10 level have had, a- had access to it as soon as I finished editing it. So they've had like 48 hours of access to it. Um, so yeah, and it's really good. Okay, so uh, all of that, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. I'm your aforementioned host, Matt Hurt. And with me today is, of course, Tiny and our recurring co-host and contributing reviewer for obsessiveviewer.com and the... Um, the oh god I'm, I'm trying to riff on this but i can't think of a of a of a good one but the the center of knowledge for all things happy madison productions <laughs> at midwestfilmjournal.com and disney straight to video um <laughs> sequels ben sears yep hi guys that's me <laughs> that's your legacy now yes <laughs> it's on uh, my business yeah. card <laughs> nice how, how are you guys doing this evening i am great Nice. Wonderful. Nice. Uh, You slipped in a LinkedIn uh, reference there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. No. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. I just got a a big raise because of LinkedIn. (laughs) Oh, right. Yes. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Maybe I should be now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Um, So, yeah. So, today on the show, we are... By the way, I'm doing okay, guys. Um, (laughs) 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 Thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, Today on the show, we're going to be continuing our our odyssey through 
um, through this dog day afternoon of an Ebert's Great Movies list reviews and um, I don't Solaris um, <laughs> with part 10 of our Ebert's Great Movies list review series um, and I do have some housekeeping and feedback related to that if you guys will indulge me for just a second yeah um, I will yes okay so uh, we are now officially, and this isn't really a marker for anything, but we are officially 6% <laughs> through Ebert's list. Damn. Hey. Yes. And uh, for all of you who want to keep track of where we are, uh, there is a new archive page on the website specifically for this review series of episodes. So obviously on the website, we have the uh, archives for the podcast, which goes chronologically through all of the releases and everything. But I've made a specific... Uh, page for the Ebert's Great Movies List review series. That's at obsessiveviewer.com slash Ebert series. And uh, yeah, I have links to all the episodes that we do, that we've done with it. But I also have a kind of list in chronological order of the movies we've covered as well, um, with links to each corresponding episode. So as we continue on the series, we're going to uh, expand that, obviously. But it's nice uh, to kind of have a centralized area for um, this project and everything. So, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know how to transition out of that because I feel <laughs> like I've talked a lot right now. So, um, yeah. yeah. Before we get to the actual, you know, reviews and everything, um, as hinted at, we're going to be reviewing 2001: A Space Odyssey uh, from 1968, Solaris from 1972, and Dog Day Afternoon from 1975. And if you guys stay tuned, we're going to learn why Tiny is so hell-bent on picking movies that take place in Brooklyn. Um, mm. So <laughs> uh, stay tuned for that. But we do have business to attend to. Before we get to the kind of news, both good and bad and sad, um, do you guys have anything anything you want to say or anything? I Every time I do that, I feel like I'm hinting that it's like my birthday or something. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing for me. Okay. Hi, everyone. Okay, nice. Yeah. Okay, I'll just put away this hat that says birthday boy and, and <laughs> I left your present at home. Okay. Well, that's good cuz it's already like uh like 3 months late. But anyway, <laughs> my birthday's in June, guys. I'm a I'm a June boy. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. So anyway, um <laughs> uh okay, so we do have some news items to go through and everything. Um which do you guys want to do first, the somber or the excitable or the neutral? Jeez. Yeah. You pick. <laughs> Me pick? Ben, you pick. Uh, let's start. Let's start with the bad and okay. move yeah. on up. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah. You this... know I like my desserts first. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh <laughs> Now give me the damn veggies. Now give me the vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that is a reference, Ben, to... Or do you know what that reference is? Nope. Nope. Uh, Good for you. <laughs> yeah. It's Fast Five, I think? Fast Five. I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah. The Rock says that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So great. Okay, so the bad first is... And this is... I'm... For reference, I listened to our previous Ebert's, movie, Ebert's episode, mm-hmm. uh, 347, and uh, I've got to say, I, I know how this sounds, but I was so delighted by all of the jabs at, at Star Wars that I got in there. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> like, you were. I was very I delighted. It. Yeah. So let's start with the bad news first. Um, 
Christopher Nolan bombshell, director talking to multiple studios on film he'll direct about J. Robert Oppenheimer in development of the A-bomb in World War II. So the bad is that he's making another movie. Um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, but no, so this, this is the news item that I saw like right as we were prepping recording. Obviously, it's not bad. He is, you know... Uh, for a lot of people, he's an in- incredible auteur, and for me, he's kind of just a little hit and miss these days, but um, I do have just a screenshot of the article, so I'm just going to read a little bit here. Um, uh, let's see. Christopher Nolan is readying his next film, and Deadline hears that, like Dunkirk, it will focus on a seminal moment in World War II. Uh, this one is J. Robert Oppenheimer's role in the development of the atom bomb during World War II. Um, and then <laughs> here's a bombshell development. Uh, while none of Ro- Nolan's recent movies have had gone outside Warner Brothers, I'm hearing that several of the major studios across town are reading the screenplay and speaking with Nolan and his reps. This might be residue from the umbrage Nolan took when Warner Media declared its intention to go day and date with its entire 2021 movie slate without forewarning talent, their reps, or even the studio's financing partners in the films. Uh, Nolan, among the superstar directors who are the most vociferous supporters of a good old-fashioned theatrical release uh was outspoken in his ire on warner media's move um i'm gonna stop reading that but that is a really really well written um article yeah <laughs> uh good job mike fleming with deadline i guess that is interesting I mean, he's been yeah. a diehard warner brothers guy mm-hmm. yeah huh. well yeah they they kind of fucked him over yeah. With, yeah right not only with uh mm-hmm. the well, they fucked over a lot of filmmakers yeah. over with the Dan Date release mm. thing. Um, but the whole tenant release mm-hmm. and they pretty much did not campaign for tenant for Oscars. Oh, that's so, right. I didn't know uh, that. I'm sure he's yeah. mad about that too. Yeah. Uh, understandably. Or did they campaign, but they only campaigned in reverse so that it hadn't been campaigned mm. yet during right. like before mm-hmm. the Oscars, but it campaigned after? Um yeah. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, that makes sense. I'm curious how it's going to that, where that's going to fall out and everything. Yeah. That's not a pun, by the way. <laughs> that, that was completely by accident. But on that note, what do you guys think of the subject matter? Um, him tackling Oppenheimer. I am quite intrigued. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to see like either a story or a movie that's talking about Oppenheimer or the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. It's a subject mm-hmm. I don't know a lot about. I've yeah. always been really interested in it, so I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'll see it. Um, yeah, it's... He, I mean, he he technically did do a movie that's based on true events, but he did it in mm-hmm. such a stylized way yeah. mm-hmm. that it's... I'm curious how he's going to tackle such a straightforward seemingly straightforward subject. Right. You're talking about the dark person, right? right? <laughs> um, no, but yeah. I have you guys watched Dunkirk since watching it for the first time I since it was released? But I really liked it. So mm-hmm. I watched it maybe last year, okay. uh, if not last year then 2019. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. How does it hold up? Pretty good. Okay. Yeah. How and this might be uh, leading the witness, but um, how do you think it compares to 1917, another war film that has a very stylized kind of, I guess, gimmick is too harsh, but um, kind of high concept? Um, that's, yeah, I think I still like Dunkirk better okay. um, as someone who just 
I liked 1917, but just mm-hmm. not as much. Um, I've kind of been toying around with rewatching 1917 lately, but okay. I have not yet. Nice. So. I have not rewatched 1917 either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which and is it was nuts. your that was like my movie of the year that year. Yeah. yeah, that's like that was my fa- that was my favorite year in movies for that decade too. Mm-hmm. For wow, last decade, and yeah. that was yeah. my favorite movie of that year. So, um, yeah, 2019 was yeah. huge year for me. Yeah, <laughs> and then fucking 2020 happened. Right. Yeah, uh, uh, truly a crescendo. Um, yeah, but yeah, I. I'd give the edge wow. to 1917 uh, for sure, but okay. I, I need to see both of them again. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for, to watch it with my wife, but she's just not interested because she doesn't want to be sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which pisses me off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do need to watch it again. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I had this whole thing I've been trying to think of. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, with with Christopher Nolan, I I am become disinterested. Uh, <laughs> the um, watcher of movies with him um, because Oppenheimer's quote: "I am wow. become yeah, death." Yeah, we got destroyer. Okay, movies. we got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's news for that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and then let's go ahead and go with the somber stuff. Um, so. Over the weekend on Sunday, I believe, was it Sunday? Monday, I think. Monday. Yeah, Monday the 6th. Uh, September 6th, uh, news broke that Michael K. Williams passed away in his apartment. Um, yeah. And, man, that this, this particular, like, actor death uh, kind of hit hard for me just because, I mean, he, like, Michael K. Williams was... Uh, was legendary in my opinion yeah Mm -hmm. um he was omar little in the wire he was chalky white in boardwalk empire um he was i can't remember the character's name but he was in the night of in lovecraft country which i haven't seen yet Mm -hmm. um also just uh, just a freaking powerhouse like journeyman character actor Mm -hmm. um who really just heightened everything that he was in he was also in season three of community um, yeah, so how did you guys feel about this news and, and feel about Michael K. Williams's uh career and now sadly legacy? Yeah, it it was it was shocking. Um I it just came out of nowhere. Uh and he's I I've been a fan of his since I first watched The Wire and mm-hmm. uh every time I see him come up in something, I just I I love whatever it is that much more. Yeah. Um cuz he just he's so solid and you always know that whatever role he's in you're going to get you're going to see a good performance. Mm-hmm. Um and I've I've been toying around with rewatching Boardwalk Empire like mm-hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic and I haven't done so yet but this just yeah. gives me even more incentive to do so yeah. and I I also haven't watched Lovecraft Country yet but yeah. this is just another reason why I I would like to now mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's I know that awards aren't you know a huge deal um but it's insane that he has never won an an, an, an Emmy yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh my god yeah that's in, like insulting yep mm-hmm. yeah yep uh tiny how'd you take the news yeah i was obviously really bummed um mm-hmm. i haven't seen him in much lately um just just haven't because I, I haven't watched lovecraft country either yeah um 
I haven't heard much about that show, so I I don't know. It looks good though. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard yeah, good things, right? Uh, I mean, for me, like just I, I think when you have the conversation about best television characters of all time, mm-hmm. how how the hell do you quantify that conversation? And like, yeah, so much television over the last 70, 80, 90 years, however mm-hmm. long. And uh, I, I think it's impossible to have that conversation without mentioning Omar Little. Right. Yeah. And I, like, he would be my first answer. Oh yeah. Like I would I don't even oh, yeah. think about it. Like boom, yeah. Omar Little. He, and he's he was, probably the only character that I feel that way about. He was I mean. one of the best, if not the best characters on what is widely considered to be one of the greatest shows of all time. Right. Absolutely. So, totally. Oh, yeah. And to know that uh, apparently David Chase like uh, has said that Omar was only originally supposed to be in like seven or eight episodes mm-hmm. and because uh, Michael K. Williams just killed it, he he kept him on. That's amazing. It was so, David Simon. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it it's it's heartbreaking. And especially I mean, he was fifty four. Obviously he struggled with, with addiction mm-hmm. and stuff. There's a really amazing um article that I've I've perused. I haven't read the whole thing, but um back when this was right before season three of Boardwalk Empire um premiered, um this journalist had interviewed Michael K. Williams. Um and it was just a very open, frank conversation and, and interview about his his uh, his drug abuse problems. I guess he was he was kind of hooked on cocaine, and like the the beginning of that article is just is is uh, it's an incredible hook. If that not to make it sound like it's entertainment, but it's like it's from the perspective of of Michael K. Williams. He's just woken up in a drug den. Um, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't have his phone because, and then, and then he just remembers that, oh yeah, I gave my phone up as collateral to get the drugs because I couldn't pay in that moment or something like that. And like, he goes on to say like, I've found myself in places where I, like, I could be, I like, I could have died. Like I've, I could have been killed by these people. Wow. <laughs> and he, he was talking about that as also in kind of conjunction with talking about how like, yeah, I mean, I would, there was like two, like when I'm, when I was working on the wire, like people knew, people knew Mike that I was, I was, you know, very professional and everything. But I mean, like when I had time off and stuff, I would just disappear for days and go into like just binges of drug, drug abuse and everything. And so it's just a very frank and open interview. And, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously it lends even more tragedy to what happened, but, um, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes because I think that it's important, um, to kind of spread that around and spread like awareness of addiction and everything. It's fucking horrible. Right. Yeah. And every, just about every like tribute article that I have mm-hmm. read about him has talked about just how great of a guy he was yes like i i think i saw uh riz ahmed posted something about how mm. how kind and generous he was when they were rehearsing for the night of mm-hmm. and you've you just hear so many stories like that about how yeah how great he was to be around mm-hmm. 
Which is funny because it doesn't match the personas of a lot of the characters he played. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right? Most notably Omar. But, yeah. Well, and he's also a very intimidating looking man. Yeah. Just oh, right. with this, I mean, he has a giant scar on his face. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, seeing him in interviews and stuff like that, that's not how, that's not his persona. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And there have been, like like Ben said, there's been so many great tributes. There's also been a lot of people digging up, like, like there was one, and I'll try to find this again and link it in the show notes, but a bit, like obviously people were sharing everything around on Twitter. But there is a video of Wendell Pierce, who played Bunk Moreland in, uh, in, in The Wire, who, it, like, they're at, like, a red carpet event, him and Michael K. Williams, and they're, they're talking to a reporter. And, like, Wendell Pierce just goes into this just very just beautiful and touching, like, just in, in completely genuine, like, compliment train <laughs> about Michael K. Williams, his commitment to his craft and and his talent and how he's so great to work with. And it's it's so beautiful. It's so like it's so heartfelt and touching. Like you can tell like like Michael K. Williams is is like kind of like he's 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 trying to be like kind of humble, but he's kind of like also like, oh this is like he's he's feeling emotions because of it. Wow. It's just it's really it's really um it's it's really touching. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did put together a little tribute thing. Do you guys want to hear it? We probably should have opened this segment with that, but do you guys want to hear it? <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay, here we go. Hey, yo, lesson here, babe. You come at the king, you best not miss. Since you feeling all biblical and righteous and all, you think on this. Now, if Omar ain't kill that delivery lady, somebody else did. But you giving him a free walk right now, though, ain't you? A man got to have a code. That's my money. Man, money ain't got no owners. Only spenders. i tell you something else. I like that ring, too. You kill him. He's resting. I see you favor a 45. Tonight I do. And I keep one in the chamber in case you ponder. Hey, can I ask you something? This is unrelated. As someone who just finished spending the majority of his life in prison, what happened with Legos? They used to be simple. Now, come on, I know you know what I'm talking about. Legos were simple. Something happened out here while I'm inside. You're feeding off the violence and the despair of the drug trade. You're stealing from those who themselves are stealing the lifeblood from our city. You are a parasite who leeches off Just like you, the culture man. of drugs. Excuse me? What? I got the shotgun. Got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? That gun ain't got enough firepower to make my joint useless. It definitely won't stop me from emptying out half my mag. You might not hit me. This range? And this caliber? Even if I miss, I can't miss. I admire a man with confidence. I don't see no sweat in your brow neither, bro. These here my daddy tunes. What are you gonna do with them? Well, I ain't building no bookcase. I don't have to do anything. 
Not after you broke my boy Todd. That man called me crying this morning. You know he fought in Iraq, right? We had a name for people like you in prison. We called you the mean click. I'm upholding the pinky swear. What? Yo, man, you spent your life in the army. I spent mine in prison. Two places where a man's word is only as good as his uniform. Now, out here, it's supposed to be different. And in my class, it will be. You two can plead your case to the class and let them decide your grades. Professor. Thank you. It's not a favor, Mr. Winger. A man's got to have a code. Awesome. And yeah, rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. Also, nice. indeed. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've been yeah. wh- I've been whistling the former in the Dell all week. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just like subconsciously, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tiny coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Tiny coming. <laughs> um, yeah, that clip that I put in, I put I put clips from Boardwalk Empire, The Wire, mostly, and uh, Community, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that clip between him and Brother Muzone. In the wire, where like uh, I see favor of forty five to ninety two, and keeps one in the chamber if you're pondering. Mm-hmm. Um, the that scene I have watched over and over again <laughs> <laughs> this past week. It is such a such an incredible scene, and it's like a cold open of one of the episodes of the wire. And it's like it is just this incredible like like western, maybe even a little bit like samurai kind of motif. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the streets of Baltimore. And it's like, it is like the writing. And of course, the acting is just unmatched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. So, so yeah. So that is a, that is a, a massive talent. It's, going. it's been a long time since I've watched it. But mm-hmm. would you guys say that the, I forget if it was season three or four of Boardwalk Empire, the Chalky White season, season four with uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Would you guys say yes. that that one's the best one of that show, without question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember really liking it at mm. the time. It's yeah, yep. And that that's such an incredible season of te- television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure which season my favorite. I haven't I haven't rewatched that show, so mm. I'm not sure. But I did remember the whole my daddy's tools thing. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did love that. Scene. God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like that whole scene is incredible. If like mm. obviously I just played the end of it, but like. That whole scene is just, it's, it's a monologue that he has where he's talking mm-hmm. to a white supremacist. Like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's technically the KKK, cause I don't know if that predates the KKK, but it's, it's a KKK member. Mm-hmm. And like, he's telling him a story about his father and how his father was hired to build a bookcase, uh, for a rich white man. And he, like, it was an experience, if I'm remembering correctly, it was an experience where, like the the man paid him, it was honorable and everything, and it kind of gave his father a taste of like, oh, okay, maybe it's maybe it's not you know all bad and everything, and then he goes on to say that his father was hired to do another uh, another carpentry job and everything, and uh, but the way that he puts it in the, in the clip is that but the only thing waiting for him was a was a tree and six feet of rope, and some white men, mm-hmm. and then so that's when. That's when Chalky, Michael Michael K. Williams, uh, unrolls this like belt of tools, and that's when he says that line. And it's just, just when when he says, "I I build a no bookcase," I'm like, "God 
damn it, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So. R.I.P. So, yeah. R.I.P. Yep. yep. Um, okay. Well, that is our tribute to Michael K. Williams. Mm. And the last piece of news before we get into our Ebert's reviews is, um, uh, it is that today, uh, the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections came out which that is going to premiere on december 22nd uh on in theaters and on hbo max but i do have a short clip from the trailer to lead us into us talking about it so here's a clip from the trailer for the matrix resurrections time to fly If you want the truth, Neo, you're going to have to fly me. The only thing that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? All right, so that was from the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, first of all, how do you guys feel about The Matrix trilogy? Um, and and how did you guys feel about this trailer? Well, I uh, I love The Matrix movie, the first one. <laughs> uh, and then the sequels were a lot of pomp and circumstance. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's what a lot of people have been saying, uh, most notably like on your – you shared the trailer, Matt, on Facebook. And mm-hmm. a lot of people commented on there saying like, well, you know, the third one was such a disappointment and yeah. was not satisfying really. And so I think a lot of people kind of wanted this movie. And um, I wasn't necessarily – super excited for it or like uh, up in arms like oh man I'd, I'd love to see a fourth matrix movie but mm-hmm. now that it's happening and seeing the trailer i'm kind of excited for it and uh nice mm-hmm. yeah i think it um yeah it hopefully can resolve some things and maybe be a better you know pseudo ending i guess for mm-hmm. the for, for the, the franchise but um yeah i kind of forgot it was coming out this year i thought it was like <laughs> yeah. i thought it was gonna be like a next summer type thing yeah i was it was sort of pushed in the periphery for mm-hmm. me um Real quick, do you guys know, like, why isn't Lawrence Fishburne in it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard any news about that. Yeah. Because it um, seems to be like the Morpheus character, isn't it? Right. I don't know if they just recast or... Yeah. It's a younger... I mean, it's Yaya Abdul-Mateen right. II, who's mm-hmm. just in uh, Candyman, which I, I was very proud of the post I made where yeah. I had screen grabs from the trailer where he's where he's looking at a mirror and then I also had a, uh, a shot from Candyman where he's looking in a mirror and I had said just because I am a shameless self-promoter of my social medias uh, having recently watched Candyman my takeaway from the Matrix Resurrections trailer is that it confirms the existence of a Yaya Abdul-Mateen II reacting to Bizarre Mirror's cinematic universe so yeah. So anyway, so Ben, <laughs> um, do you have insight on why Lawrence Fishburne is in it? I know he has said why, but I don't remember. Okay. Mm. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I I don't think it's like anything personal between okay. him and uh, any of the castmates or uh, is. It's Lana or Le- Lana or Lana. Uh, Lana Wachowski okay. is the one directing it. I don't think there's anything personal between mm. those two. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I've I've been 
I mean, I love the original Matrix. Of course, mm-hmm. it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I need to reevaluate the third one. Um, yeah. I was definitely disappointed at the time. I've kind of, uh, I don't know. I need to re rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Right. See if my feelings still hold up. Yeah. I, I need to rewatch the whole the whole trilogy because I feel like I I've grown it's funny considering what we're gonna be reviewing tonight, but I've grown a lot a lot in my in my viewing of the more kind of abstract science fiction kind of stuff and the kind of heavy heavy me- not heavy message but heavy um subtext science fiction so I kind of wonder if like going through that going through the trilogy I might get something a little bit more out of it cuz I mean I was just like I liked Matrix Reloaded because mm-hmm. oh there's a big freeway chase scene and <laughs> uh ninja twins with swords and yeah. stuff or something yep um, that freeway chasing is amazing. It, it really oh, is it's so epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm curious. Yeah. So yeah. how did you feel about the trailer, Ben? Uh, very curious. Um, I think it looks amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. the effects, uh, are just it. You can tell just how much they've grown in the last almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I'm excited for that aspect of it. And then the, it's obviously it's hard to tell what the story is going to be. Right. I know a lot of people have pointed out that it kind of looks almost like a reboot of the original. Yeah. Where Neo is still asleep in the matrix and Mm -hmm. uh, who knows. I, I read some like out there things, theories and i don't know how deep we want to get because i don't like conjecture of of this sort yeah but there are a couple of things i kind of want to say and put on on the record i guess um one is that i just i'd read like someone was like well what if what if the reason why Lawrence fishburne isn't in it and they cast yaya abdul mateen um what if he is what if this is actually like a prequel to the trilogy and this is an early iteration of neo bringing morpheus into the matrix and uh and setting him up and telling him about the prophecy and all that and i'm like okay that's a little high concept and (laughs) a little straightforward but maybe but the other thing was that in a few shots from the from the trailer um like there's there's one shot where Neo is standing with a screen behind him. He's standing with like in profile and there's a screen behind him and then there's another shot where like a rocket launcher or something is shot at a screen and then it cuts to the rocket going through a train. But on those screens are uh it's the matrix. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the matrix like the movie the matrix yeah and then the way that the trailer ends with the guy saying like oh going back to the beginning like the matrix i'm like there's a lot of question about it being maybe a meta thing kind of like new nightmare that west craven's new nightmare kind of and that makes me kind of curious but also hesitant because i don't know how that's going to play if that if they go all in on that so i don't know what do you guys think about that well, the the other thing that I'm curious about is, like, obviously, Keanu Reeves can still kick some ass. Oh, like, yeah. 
just watch any of the John Wick movies. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, like, he just looks so much older than yeah. what he did in 2004 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious how much of that will be a factor yeah. Uh, yeah. with the fights and all of that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, this is the only bit of fan theory that I will indulge in, but I read... Um, Priyanka Chopra Jonas is in this. Oh, okay. And um, at the beginning of the third Matrix, there's a little Middle Eastern girl Mm -hmm. who is like a computer program, and uh, Neo is like helping her get into the Matrix um, through the the train system or whatever. Mm -hmm. So this theory suggested that Priyanka Chopra Jonas is that little girl grown up. Oh, okay. So I don't know what that will mean, but mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I nice. thought that was an interesting angle. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Well, we'll see in December, and I don't want to say this out loud, but I was thinking like, and I mean, I don't know. It's all finicky. I don't know if we could pull this off, but I was thinking between now and December. If you guys want to coordinate and like like we could watch we could watch the Matrix and then record like our thoughts on the Matrix like as a just one off recording and then watch the Matrix Reloaded do the same thing watch Matrix Revolutions do the same thing and then and then I'll piece that together and we'll have like a Matrix trilogy retrospective episode the week before the Matrix Resurrections mm-hmm. comes out. That's cool. Yeah. I'm down. Okay. Maybe cool. want to watch the that, movies again. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because I mean, we're gonna watch the movies again. Yeah, like right. <laughs> we have to. Um, I'm also curious so, as yeah. to why uh, Lily Wachowski is not involved at all. I, I think that she said why, but I don't think it's anything in terms of like a contentious kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it was something like. I don't remember what the last thing they worked on together was, but yeah. I think she was like exhausted from it. Okay. And yeah. it was just like, okay, you know. Gotcha. Because um, the Wachowskis are not particularly prolific. Like, no. Right. I mean, since The Matrix mm-hmm. or what was their Speed um, Racer. They had that Cloud Netflix. A- it was Cloud Atlas, I think. Cloud. Oh, and they had Sense8. Yes. Sense8, but I think yeah. she referenced uh, Cloud Atlas and okay. how she, that just took a lot. Uh, that may have been their last theatrical film right um that they Was did that together before or after jupiter ascending oh, uh, God, I about jupiter ascending that was before, before but i think did they only produce that that sounds oh, right because i don't know if they directed it but um but yeah oh i have i had a couple of um things about it one of the things that i really um so, like, wh- one of my immediate reactions was that, oh, no, they did direct it. They did direct Jupiter Ascending. Jesus. Um, okay. Yeah, and was that after Cloud Atlas? That was 2015, so yeah. Okay. Um, so, anyway, um, one of the things that, like, like Tiny kind of mentioned, like, it, or I think, Ben, I, you both did, probably, but um, <laughs> there is obviously, like, a lot of, like, imagery and scenes that are very reminiscent or direct homages to like especially the beginning of the first movie and that gave me a little bit of pause but i will say that there's like one shot in the trailer where neo is in an elevator and he's surrounded by people staring at their phones just like tiny is now um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking at their filmography nice Have, did they direct anything uh, V for Vendetta was another one we forgot about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, I know anyway. you weren't super big on. 
Yeah, yeah. I I haven't seen it since yeah. What was it? Two thousand eight, I think. Four or five. Oh shit! Five. Yeah, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I'll need to tell Mike about that because I think that movie he and I saw in the theater. Anyway, mm. so um, but that scene where he's in the elevator and he sees people surrounded, like just looking at their phones, th- something clicked with me. And I was just like, oh, shit, like, what is this movie going to have going to say about our current relationship with technology? Yeah. How different is that going to be in contrast to how, like, the overarching idea of machines controlling people in, mm. in 1999's The Matrix right. versus 2021? And that, I'm, I mean, the, the possibilities are, like, incredibly endless. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious how it's going to factor in our modern society i'm also really curious i i really 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 hope that someone at some point says that someone has been red pilled oh god (laughs) yes well yeah and that's another thing like in the opening of the trailer neil patrick harris like the first line is like you seem very triggered right now and i'm i'm kind of wondering how that's going to yeah like how like how i don't know if they're going to inject wokeism into it or anything Mm -hmm. but wasn't I don't think the original Matrix took place in like 2000. It, it was what like hundreds of years in the future. Twenty one. Right? Yeah, but the actual Matrix was constructed as mm-hmm. late twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing about that is that I'm curious how how and if Lena Wachowski is going to incorporate uh, like transgender issues mm-hmm. and and plot lines into it because an anecdote that i read about the first one is that oh i can't remember the character's name not cypher switch switch hmm. uh was originally intended to be a, a trans character in the in the way that uh the character was going to be like a, a man in the real world and then the avatar in the matrix was going to be a woman or mm-hmm. what have you but i think like the studio said it said not to do it or something hmm. So that I'm kind of curious, sense. yeah. So I'm curious now in 2021 how that how that how that it's going to be incorporated into yeah, it. Right. Um, so I'm I'm very curious. Um, I do have an anecdote that made me chuckle quite a bit. Um, just thinking about it because I'm an idiot. But um, and then we can go on to our Ebert's reviews. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts on Matrix Resurrections before I go into my stupid bit? <laughs> no, can't wait. Okay, so, um. I think was it was it to you, Ben, that I was talking on Patreon about the guy in high school who spoiled the Matrix Revolutions for me? Uh that sounds familiar. Okay. So for those who aren't on Patreon or haven't listened to it, um <laughs> in high school, I have a vivid memory in I think it was two thousand four or five, whenever Matrix Revolutions come out came out, I was in class and uh, it was like the week after that movie came out and I was excited about it. I was talking about it in like our prime time or homeroom class or whatever. And this kid who I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, keep him anonymous here, but he just intentionally with, with malice of forethought <laughs> told me the ending of the matrix revolutions when I was talking about how excited I was to watch it. Ugh. And in retrospect, I mean, he just said one lot, like he just said one thing and it's like, okay, that's like the obvious ending. He didn't give away like the end of the trilogy, but like the, the, yeah. 
obvious conclusion of, of a certain story arc. But <laughs> in my head, I've always jokingly held a little bit of a grudge. And then today when I saw the trailer, I thought, like, how fucking insane would it be if that day in at Speedway High School, in that classroom, I decided I'm going to commit revenge on this. <laughs> and like, what if every single thing that I've done since then has been reaching toward this goal so like i started a website where i wrote reviews and stuff uh i uh, tiny and i started a podcast i did more podcasts i did more reviews i covered film festivals and stuff all with the intention of getting into the indiana film journalists association so that i could get access to press <laughs> screenings and and digital screeners and everything specifically so when the fourth Matrix movie was announced, I would be in a position to see it before it was released, just so I could message this guy who's now married and has kids and probably doesn't give a shit about any of this and just say, this is what happens at the end of the Matrix Resurrections, fucker. <laughs> Jesus. And like, I kept thinking about that today and I was just like, how fucking insane is that? <laughs> Part of me kind of wants you to do that just yeah. to... I it uh, is it would be betraying you'd fulfill my, the prophecy <laughs> i would fulfill the prophecy but i it would it would it would be in in stark contrast to my inner like code that i follow that not to spoil people but man's got to have a code yes yeah. nice um yeah so uh, you might say that um, I'll take the one pill that makes me the bigger man. Um, <laughs> yeah. How great is White Rabbit? Though, Such by a good the way? song. Oh, my God. Yeah. Good like, choice. Yeah. Like, even with it being overused in media and everything, I, I don't get sick of it. It's really good. I know. Do, Such a good song. Do yeah. you get it? Because there's a White Rabbit in the <laughs> first Matrix movie. I will have and to go. It's all about going down the rabbit hole. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will have to go ask Alice. I don't remember the rest of the lines, the, the <laughs> lyrics, but yes. When she's 10 feet tall. Yep. Nice. Yep. Good, good okay. rendition. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, yeah. So th that's our news and, and news segments and everything. There was a, another piece of news today, but we can kind of briefly touch on it. It was announced today, Halloween Kills is going to have a day and date premiere on October, I think 15th is when it comes out, but it's going to be day and date theater and Peacock. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh. Which is something. <laughs> Universal property? Uh, yes. Okay. And it's weird. Yeah. Hmm. Especially after Shang-Chi like broke a record in Labor Day. I, I mm -hmm. was kind of thinking, you know, maybe studios would be more, um, interested in, uh, you know, having confidence in theater screenings, but hmm. yeah. But then how would they get more streaming subscribers? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Peacock is not, is, is really not, uh, HBO max level of subscribers. I don't think. Yeah. It's, I, I'm always, I'd be very curious to see the economics of some of the streaming services because so many people are like I, like during the olympics and shit mm -hmm. people were talking about how the v ratings were so bad for like the live like the primetime showings of the olympics and everything oh like, yeah yeah but how many people are signing up for peacock right now like are they right are they yeah. making a killing on peacock like i don't know like that's i, I don't know 
I have yeah. the free version of Peacock, and mm. I tried a couple times to watch like other sports or like the live broadcasts on the other channels. And it was very difficult to figure out. Okay. Uh, yeah, the user interface isn't that good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have, I guess, a premium subscription, but that's only because it was free through my Xfinity account. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I didn't even know about that until, like, uh, like apparently it's been active for, like, a year or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we pay for it. Cause oh, okay. Because they cover IndyCar. Oh, gotcha. So, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah. So that's interesting. And yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. So, um, shall we go on to our Ebert's Great Movies List Yeesh. episode? Okay. Yep. No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children. People say do film critics have too much power? For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. And then Roger Ebert gets up. What I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? Let us all unite! All right, and uh, so our Ebert's Great Movies List series is a series of episodes where we select a single movie from, we each select a single movie from Ebert's Great Movies List and review and discuss them in a special series of podcast episodes on the Obsessive Viewer. Uh, The quote that uh, is kind of the center of the Great Movies ethos is, uh, from Roger Ebert, quote, One of the gifts a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film they have not yet discovered. Here are more than 300 reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past, all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. And, as previously stated, this is part 10 of our ongoing series of uh, reviews on this series. Um, we are tonight discussing 2001 A Space Odyssey, Solaris, and Dog Day Afternoon. And as is customary with this, uh, with this structure and this, this, uh, this specific type of episode, we're going to go chronological through, chrono- we're going to select them chronologically according to their release date. So first up is 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which came out in 1968 and was directed by Stanley Kubrick and was written by Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, um, who was writing the novel of 2001 A Space Odyssey in tandem with the screenplay with Kubrick. A very interesting kind of thing. A really good book about that is, I think it's called Space Odyssey by, I think, like Michael Benson, I think. Hmm. Um, really good nonfiction book about the making of 2001 A Space Odyssey. But... Uh, yeah, plot summary for um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, courtesy of Letterboxd, is The Ultimate Trip. Humanity finds a mysterious object buried beneath the lunar surface and sets off to find its origins with the help of HAL 9000, the world's most advanced supercomputer. So, Tiny and Ben, I picked this movie because it is one of my all-time just favorite, favorite movies of all time, of all time. And uh, to give kind of my history, and then I'll yield the floor to your guys' thoughts and experience with this movie and your histories with it, but for me, it is another one of those movies that I 
uh, gravitated toward as an obnoxious film snob, 15-year-old kid who didn't know shit about anything. <laughs> and I remember, I think I may have gotten it through DVD, uh, like Netflix DVD before streaming was even a thing, and watched it that way. And or I, I may have blind bought it because I worked at Blockbuster my senior year of high school and they had uh, no, it wasn't when I worked at Blockbuster. OK, now I'm straightening it out. It wasn't when I worked there. It was just when I was a customer. But Blockbuster had it for sale. I think it was like one of the previously viewed ones or uh, no, it wasn't. It was brand new because it was the um, cardboard case. Um, I bought it when I was like maybe 14 or 15 and I watched it and I didn't understand it and I read about it and I watched it again and I didn't understand it and I read about it <laughs> and then I just watched it and watched it and watched it and it is a movie that I have seen so many times over the years and it is a movie that I don't know necessarily if this is as special an experience as I'm maybe making it out to be, or maybe I, I'm perceiving it to be, but it is a movie that I grow that grows with me in terms of my perception of what what's what's going on, what the meaning is of, of everything. Um, as I grow older, I kind of shift my theories and my per perceptions on it, the things that I focus on. Um, throughout that I've I have focused on in the movie throughout the years is are different at each time I watch it. And it's just a very dense and some would say much like much like Andre Tarkovsky said um when when his film Solaris was endlessly compared to 2001, uh he said that he had seen it and it just felt very sterile. <laughs> um <laughs> which is true, but also his movie is but um <laughs> but it's something that is just so um, it, it just, it, it is so confident in its, in its speculative fiction aspect. And it, it is, it is something that is, is an in very interesting time capsule of where humanity could be like when made by artistic people who created art a year before the moon landing. And I just find that to be endlessly fascinating and, and intriguing and, and just, I, I don't know. I, I love this movie so much. One of my favorite experiences was a couple years ago when it, they re-released it in theaters, um, both just as an anniversary thing. And then also they did the, I think, roadshow experience of Christopher Nolan's like unrestored cut where he basically like uh, like it was a 70 millimeter print that was uh, kind of as as close to the original print that originally ran in theaters in 1968 as possible. Um, and I just remember seeing that, I think seeing that version like two times in theaters and then seeing like when it came back for an anniversary screening, seeing that like three times. And it's just something that I just, I just, I cannot get enough of this movie. Um, so yeah. So anyway, that, that's my spiel about 2001 a space odyssey and funny to, to lay all my cards on the table. The funny thing about that is I did not rewatch it for this episode. <laughs> I kind of ran out of time. Yeah. And uh, I didn't, uh, like, I, I prioritized my watching specifically so that 2001 would, would be last because obviously I know this movie so well over mm -hmm. the years so I could get away with it. But anyway, what are your guys' thoughts on 2001 A Space Odyssey, your histories with it, and uh, yeah, how, how, how's it going? <laughs> go ahead ben um well i uh i'll be honest i i had considered not watching it again interesting um i did watch 
most of it. I didn't mm-hmm. finish it. Um, but I had actually, I've only seen it the one time before this. And oh, wow. I, that's, that's how well I had remembered it. Mm. Um, more or less. Yeah. Um, but it's just such a, on its face, it's such a simple movie that mm. I figured, you know, uh, there, there wouldn't be that much more that I would pick up from a new viewing of it because it's just so clearly defined and so, uh, memorable mm-hmm. that I, there was, there was a lot from this current viewing, like the, the point where I stopped watching was, uh, Spoiler alert, where they finish. Go to space. How? Oh, uh, gotcha. <laughs> you know, um, you, I'm, you can't spoil this. Movie, no. So, the Daisy um, Bell scene. Yes. Yeah. So, like, right at the end of that. Okay. Um, and there was, I, I had remembered pretty much everything that came, uh, up until that point, minus a few little details, but, the thing that stood out to me on this watch was just how silent it is. Yes. Um, there's, you know, there's obviously there's the famous classical music scenes mm-hmm. and then there's several scenes in the space sequence where it's either just heavy breathing mm-hmm. or just no sound at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that heavy breathing was Kubrick's breath. Okay. Yep. Excellent. You're going to yeah. do this the whole time? Or? No, no. <laughs> I no. I'm just going to go like this. <sighs> okay, I'm done. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, what what can you say about this movie that hasn't already been said mm-hmm. 100,000 times already? But it's just, it works on just about every level. I mean, a visual level, mm-hmm. uh, conceptual level, uh sound design, music, visual effects, um, pretty much everything except for characters. I mean, the characters yeah. are kind of secondary for the <laughs> yeah. most part. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, you, like, the monkeys at the beginning, mm-hmm. there's there's character in those. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. Um, so it's... It's uh, just one of the greatest movies of all time for a good reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny, your history and thoughts. Oh, yeah. I, oh, sorry. I, yeah. I, I'm also very jealous that I have not seen this in theaters. Oh, mm. yeah. yeah. It's You should. It, yeah. 100%. It's, it's on my bucket list. Yeah. yeah. There's, I'm so, just random uh, tangent, but like I'm, I'm so pleased that like I have a locked in like top 25. Um, and of my top 10, I think I've seen all but maybe two or three. I, I don't know offhand, but maybe two or three. I've seen all of them except for those in a movie theater. And nice. like that includes 2001 and Seven Samurai, which I still can't fucking believe I saw that in a movie theater. <laughs> um, but yeah, tangent over tiny 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, I have a long history with this movie. I I saw it around the same time you did when Mm. I started becoming obsessed with Stanley Kubrick. Nice. Um, It was my teen years. I don't I don't know the exact how exactly how old I was, but I was fourteen or fifteen, and Mm -hmm. um, I bought. That's when I was really starting to collect DVDs. Yeah, and I bought the big. 
at the time there was a big Stanley Kubrick collection DVD. Oh yeah, was that? I had it for years. I don't think I have it anymore. Oh dang, is that the one that had the like cardboard cases? They were like white cardboard yeah. cases. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, With the clicky thing. Right. Yep. Um, hmm. So I that's I think that's how I saw it the first time. But um, yeah, I immediately fell in love with it, and um, it's one of my dad's favorite movies too. My dad loves science oh, nice. fiction. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's a movie. It's probably one of the movies that I've seen the most mm. um, of any movie ever. Nice. I, I've seen it probably seven or eight times, um, and I I think. I also, funny, I, I didn't watch it for this either. No. Um, but but the, the reason is because I think <laughs> when it came out, they had the, the 70 millimeter print that came out mm-hmm. three years ago, I want to say, maybe four. Something like that, 2018 yeah. was the 50th anniversary, so probably. Okay. That, I think that's when it was, 2018. Yeah. We went and saw it um, at the state uh the state IMAX theater mm-hmm. uh which was fucking amazing yeah and um it was a packed theater too that was so cool um we saw it then and then i think a few months later we watched it again for we talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. and then i read the book that you referenced earlier which i can't remember what it's called what was yeah it? i'm pretty sure it's space odyssey space odyssey yeah. yeah i read that book so i like i kind of burnt myself out on it Oh, yeah. And have not had an inkling to watch it. That was all in the space of a year, and that was two or three years ago. So, like, that's why I, I didn't want to burn myself further out on it. So, that's why I didn't watch it for this. Yeah. But um, for, for me, for me, it's the visuals. Like, this is this is visually the greatest movie ever made. Mm-hmm. Blanket statement, which I, I know we've talked about some visual powerhouses just yeah. on this series yeah. for the podcast that you break great movies like uh, spirited way mm-hmm. last time. That's a top 10 for sure. But yeah. for me, this is concretely in the number one spot for me. Nice. And, and I think it's one of those, I remember when I watched it when I was a teenager, I just couldn't, could not take my eyes off of it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think the, the visual achievements of this movie in 1968 they filmed it in 67 just absolutely unbelievable Mm -hmm. um not to jump ahead but like a comparable movie is solaris Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even come close right yeah Yeah. it does and not not to shit on that movie for that reason i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying 2001 is so unbelievably good Mm -hmm. visually um that i I think it just i don't i'm not sure anyone's ever going to top it yeah. Um, which I think we, I made that same statement when we talked about it three or four years ago. Probably. Um, and, and I stand by it and I'll probably continue to stand by it for probably the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I, so I, yeah, I, I don't think visually this movie can be touched. And, and for me, that makes it one of the greatest movies ever. Um, but, but like Ben said, there's so many other categories that it just knocks out of the park. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, again, to steal from Ben, what can you say about this movie? It hasn't already been said a thousand times. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think, when you're when you're talking about this movie, you have to talk about what doesn't work in it, yeah. and and again, it's the character stuff. The, mm-hmm. the characters are lacking, and and also I've since the first time I watched it, I've been a critic of the acting. Um, there's several mm-hmm. actors' performances that are just pretty wooden and and not that not all that interesting to me, um, but doesn't mean there's no there's no good acting in it um right i think the i don't actually I don't know who did the voice of hal i can't remember the actor's name douglas reigns okay i think that's a pretty underrated part of the movie in yeah. my book mm-hmm. um that was hal is one of the best characters yeah oh, yeah it's kind of funny yeah. um, well that's yeah. what i find kind of uh fascinating and and 
I, I love about the movie is uh, uh, specifically Douglas Rain. Um, okay. Not plural. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. He actually passed away in uh, November of 2018. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And it was 2018 that the Christopher Nolan unrestored. Uh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I did. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tiny. Did you have more? To say? No, I, okay. I'm pretty much it. That's pretty much it for me. Okay. Yeah. So what I find very compelling and interesting is in, I don't know if this is me being an apologist for it, but um, it's a Kubrick film. So I've got to just kind of just say so like every element of it is I'm sure intentional, including the wooden performances from the actors. Right. right. Like I find it endlessly fascinating that Hal 9000 is the most humanized character. Like when he, it's not, Again, we're going to go spoilers. Yeah, spoilers on. Um, but when he is, what I, what I find incredibly fascinating and, and captivating about the HAL 9000 character is that when he, when he is faced with being shut down, it is a human response that he gives. It is a, it is a inherently human response when, when he is faced with the prospect of being, terminated like he like he his reaction is not like this standard like oh robot is robot uprising robot killing humans because robot better human than humans but he is a better human than the humans but um (laughs) but it is a survival instinct it is a survival technique that i think is mirrored beautifully uh or mirrored pretty well with the (laughs) the dawn of man segment um in the beginning of the film where it is them being uplifted by this alien artifact that is imbuing them with the knowledge to use tools and and to to create violence and it's the dawn of mankind is the dawn of violence and like it's like ben said like you can't really say anything that hasn't already been said but i'm going to say it anyway that I, that incredibly iconic just breathtaking iconic transition when uh in the book his name is stargazer um the monkey (laughs) throws the bone in the air spins and then it transitions into um a space station which i don't know i think it's it's in the book and i think it's implied in the movie and it is like in the in the screenplay of the movie that is a uh intended to be a nuclear weapons like like satellite that has Mm. nuclear weapons. So it is transitioning Mm. from like pre mankind's first experience with weapons to an extinction level, potential extinction level weapon, weaponeering. Mm -hmm. And is that a word weaponeering? Sure. Yeah. Weaponage. Um, (laughs) So, but like that transition is just so evocative and stunning. So cool. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so to go back to HAL 9000, like that, I think that the, um, uh, uh, Dave Bowman and, and Frank Poole, their characters are intentionally just dry, wooden, not like completely emotionless. Like there's a scene where, um, Frank, uh, Frank Poole gets his, gets, uh, get, receives a video from his family wishing him a happy, happy birthday. And then HAL 9000 is like, happy birthday, frank um and he's like thank you hell it's just very just completely neutral yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and that works as like okay he is interacting with this machine that is 
he that he just thinks is programmed and everything but it's also just like this is you know mankind is boring and <laughs> maybe not deserving of being uplifted into the next echelon of of existence and everything yeah um yeah i just god damn it i love this movie mm-hmm. um the uh yeah. the weapon slash bone mm-hmm. transitioning to the space station was also up until um, for almost 50 years it was the largest cinematic jump in time oh yeah ever. right what beat it that uh gosh, what was that that filmmaker I'm not a big fan of? Um, uh, um Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Oh yeah, of gotcha. Life. Um uh Terrence Malick. Yeah. Terrence Malick, thank okay. you. Yeah. Interesting. He's hit or miss, okay. Like I'm not he's not yeah. terrible. I just I'm not a huge fan of his. Yeah. But. I need to rewatch that. Yeah. I've I, never seen I it. I wasn't a huge fan of it. So Okay. That went from I can't remember, but that was like mm-hmm. it went from like dinosaurs to 1950 or something like that okay yeah (laughs) well damn um right (laughs) yeah um but yeah this in in something that i i am embarrassed to to say i don't think i really like was conscious of until maybe like the second or third screening in the movie theater a couple years ago when it was in the theaters Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) there was a moment where i was in the movie theater watching this movie and i realized Maybe it was the first time I saw it in in the movie theater, but I realized that like, oh, oh, okay, this is very direct. Um, Discovery, the spaceship that they're on, looks like a giant sperm. Um, <laughs> like it is shaped a, like like a massive just like sperm, uh-huh. and like I just find that to be really uh, interesting in Kubrickian, <laughs> um, in its very unique, weird way. Um, but also, it's you know, it's it's a it's a vessel that is carrying humans to a destination that will, uh, unbeknownst to them, create, uh, like create a new, create the star child basically mm, right. in the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. God damn it. I love this movie so much. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, do you guys want to talk about the Jupiter and beyond the infinite, um, segment? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you guys think of it? Where the where Dave Bowman is transported through a wormhole to a kind of weird alien zoo type thing or mm-hmm. encampment or room. It's trippy, yeah. man. Yeah, it totally, man. Yeah. Expand your mind. I don't know why. <laughs> I, um, I think yeah. it's I think it's one of the best um best cinematic examples of mm-hmm. uh leaving something open to interpretation yeah visually right because there's like zero dialogue hardly right yeah uh, there's a little but almost none even does he does he say anything i forget I... no but it's interesting because i listened to the novel um uh earlier this year and i mean i mean Arthur C. Clarke, man, he's amazing. Mm, right. Um, the writing, like in the book, it's it's interesting because during that the Stargate sequence in the book, I think the only thing that he says is, "My God, it's full of stars." And what's interesting is, I think in I haven't seen it, but in 2010, the year we make contact, which came out in the 90s, I think mm-hmm. they use that line in that movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, and in that super secret uh, sci-fi Patreon pro- project I'm doing, <laughs> um, I, which I need to get back to, to planning that out. But anyway, um, I introduced a couple of my reviews with um, like a very just production heavy like reading of the plot synopsis. Like I, I did uh, Children of Time, the book by Adrian uh, Tchaikovsky. 
and I was reading the plot summary and then like at the end I was like my god it's children of time <laughs> I was like could that be like a thing that I do each time but I don't think so <laughs> I don't know anyway yeah uh what do you guys think of the that sec- Ben what did you think of of the Stargate sequence and uh and we can also talk about the Star Child um yeah it's uh I remember the first time I watched it uh it was just mind-boggling just mm-hmm. um I did not totally know what to make of it at first but mm-hmm. uh it's it's not like totally obtuse uh yeah. it's it's easy to understand without like force feeding it to you mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is that 14, 15 year old Matt thought that it was the <laughs> most complex thing in on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't mean that in like a in it as a dig to myself or the movie or anything, because I do agree it is pretty straightforward once you know the pieces and, and you kind of see it as a whole. Like it's it is ambiguous, but the interpretation that it leaves open is something that is is pretty pretty um leading toward a specific kind of um kind of uh, resolution or 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 interpretation but i do think that maybe part of my love for this movie is because i watched it at such a young age and because i had such a such a such a completely obtuse read of it or i completely didn't understand what was going on and i kind of think that i don't maybe maybe i'm putting too much credit on it but I kind of feel like maybe that has helped mold my view of art in general. Like I, this was maybe the first time that I saw a movie or a piece of art as interpretive or something that is thought provoking in the sense that I can come to my own conclusions. I can, I can read into it something that maybe isn't the intended read of it, but it still, but still fits. And I think that that kind of perspective and that kind of attitude and that, approach to it has forever changed my way that I consume art. And I just, I like, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I wish that I could, but I would love to just thank, uh, thank Artie and Stanny, um, <laughs> for, for putting this out there. I, I agree. It was a, such a manipulative, uh, in a good way piece of art it, it, it's the first piece of art that i realized i could grow with or like yes i can it, it's one of those things where you come back to it at different times in your life and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's one of the few pieces of art that i've come back to so many times yeah uh, across almost 20 years at this point yep yeah. yeah it's also it's just one of the most influential movies of all time oh True. Yeah. yeah the the list of filmmakers and i mean like cinematographers, mm-hmm. sound designers, visual effects artists, just the list goes on and on of people yeah. who cite this movie as an inspiration. And not to jump ahead too much and we'll get to we'll get to Solaris here shortly, but I found it really interesting that uh that the trivia that I read was that uh Tarkovsky didn't see 2001 or wasn't yeah. aware of it. I'm like, "You sure about that?" <laughs> like, "You sure?" Well, um, and uh, part of what I was reading, uh, it, Roger Ebert mentions this in mm-hmm. one of his essays, is how mixed the reception was to this at first. Right. Yeah. Right. Like there were plenty of walkouts at the premiere mm-hmm. of people who just didn't understand it. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yep. It's wild to think about now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Uh, the book, uh, Space Odyssey, which is by Michael Benson, uh, touches on that, I think, and touches on, um, kind of how, like, the, the, um, perception that kind of, uh, that late 60s psychedelic drug users, uh, gravitated toward mm-hmm. it. I don't remember where it came down in, in the book, but I think that it was like, this is, this is kind of a, an urban legend kind of thing. They didn't, like, the people that were taking drugs to go see, uh, 2001 a space odyssey when it was in theaters was did not factor in as heavily with um with the box office as as one as it as it kind of uh uh seems to be or is yeah. in kind of the conversation it's, fu- um, it's funny that yeah. it has that reputation because it's mm-hmm. if there was ever a movie where you didn't need drugs to, to <laughs> right. feel tripped out it's this movie yeah. and it's it's so, yeah. it's so funny to think about yeah like, it's it's a psychedelic experience mm-hmm. sober yeah That's like i've crazy. never um i've never uh i've never um taken drugs and i've never mm-hmm. felt like i needed to take drugs or anything yeah um but like yeah this movie is is amazing at that mm-hmm. um yeah i I'm scared to like take truly psychedelic drugs. Oh right! I just I'm so f- afraid of having a bad trip or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I yeah, and I I think it's because of this movie. I feel like I don't really need to. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I got some if you wanna. <laughs> <laughs> don't fall into peer pressure, Tiny. <laughs> I don't even do know. what I say and don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this day and age, I don't even know if you can consider marijuana all that psychedelic. Oh no, not at all. It has, from that, what I understand, it has that. Yeah, don't bring that up to any Indiana lawmakers. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Funny side note, and this is a joke that I make often because I've never done marijuana or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not for any moral reasons or anything. I just that don't really feel like you mm-hmm. know experimenting with anything harder than alcohol. Yeah. But uh, I was recently um, hanging out with some friends, and they they offered me. Um, marijuana i was like this is what this is what that police officer was tell was 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 uh was talking about in fifth grade um but my joke response anytime the topic of drugs or marijuana is brought to my attention from people who know that i've, I've never done it and have no real interest in it it's like it's so dumb but like they're like hey i mean you know if you want you more than welcome and i was just like no i want to go to heaven <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so dumb. Devil's lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. And the Star Child, big, giant uh, baby Dave Bowman uh, coming back to Earth to yeah. wreak havoc or <laughs> to uh, uplift uh, humanity. Right. Cool stuff. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, we've talked a mm. little bit about the sight and sound greatest films of all time. Ah, Yes. Or- uh, in 2012, would you would either of you guys like to guess where 2001 lands oh. amongst the critics? Sight and Sound also includes like foreign films in that, right? It's not just American films. Correct. Fuck. Um, What's this list again? What is it? Sight, Sight and, and Sound. How many are on the list total? 250. 250. Um, There's a critics poll and a director's poll. Oh, that's right. Okay. I would say, I don't know what number, but I will say that it, the director's poll is probably higher than the critic's poll listing. Correct. Nice. And I'm going to say director's listed at f- five <laughs> <laughs> and critics at 25. Tiny. <laughs> mm. 
I don't know. I'm not familiar with the list, but I'd mm-hmm. say probably similar to what Matt said. I'd say it's directors. It's a top ten. Um, and critics, it's probably twenty top twenty. Directors number two. Oh, nice. Shit. Number two and number one is Tokyo Story. Oh, nice. <laughs> An alum of the Ebert's Great Movies list, obsessive viewer uh, thing. That's right. Yeah, uh, which critics. is the official title of this podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> critics, it's number six. Oh, wow. All all time. That is surprising. Nice. Uh, number seven, The Searchers. Okay. <laughs> I but when you said that, like in my head, I was like, "Did we do that? We did. I get. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we sure did." <laughs> that's yep. a, in the in the realm of criticism. That's those are a funny comparison because, like, mm. I bet when the Searchers came out, it was all you know, a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes type thing. Like it's just <laughs> yeah. across the wall amazing from the critic standpoint mm-hmm. but now in 2021 people are like this is a pretty fucking racist ass movie <laughs> but and then you got that right pilgrim <laughs> um but 2001 is like the exact opposite like mm-hmm. the criticism initially was a little iffy yeah but now mm-hmm. it's almost resoundingly mm-hmm. positive mm-hmm. for it so it's funny how time changes things i guess yeah, yeah. in regards to those two movies yeah yeah anyways i, I don't know yeah number one for critics is vertigo Oh, nice. Interesting. Okay. Another Ebert's Great Movies list uh, thing for Obsessive Viewer alum. Oh, you guys talked about Correct. Vertigo already? We did. Okay. Yeah. I missed we that did, uh, Yeah, we did Vertigo and... Rear Window. Rear Window. And we saw it Heart- at... Heartland last year. Yep. Oh, cool. Heartland okay. last year, and uh, we saw it at the drive-in, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Bad things happened there. Um, <laughs> we can't We can't talk about it. We swore an oath that we would take it to our graves, <laughs> um, lest we be jumped <laughs> his battery died in his car yeah <laughs> oh shit okay I, I, it happened i just jumped the car yeah uh, okay yeah cool yep okay so that is our um thoughts on 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. as is customary we are going to go around the table and give our thumbs up rating and whether or not this is going to be this would be on our own theoretical great movies list um I'm pretty sure you guys can imagine what my rating and everything is, <laughs> but an emphatic thumbs up, um, bold and italicized and underlined, <laughs> uh, five stars and fuck yes in the top 10 of my great movies list. Yeah. Um, my top two probably, mm-hmm. um, love, 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 love this movie and, uh, I like through while while waxing nostalgia on seeing it in the theater. I'm just praying that it comes to theaters again at some point for any reason. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. Because I will see that as many times as possible. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So do you want to go clockwise, Ben? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Five stars. Thumbs up. Great movies list. Nice. Yeah, pretty easy. Nice. nice. Tiny. So make it a make it a trifecta. Yeah. Thumbs nice. up. Five stars. Uh, how can you not? Yeah. Great movies nice. list for sure. Yeah. So we just had ourselves a nice threesome there. Cool. <laughs> um, I went, I'm I went sorry. with trifecta, you sick bastard. Though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, threesome is just a word, guys. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're um, inferring from my meaning, but uh, yeah, great. So yeah, awesome. Um yeah, shall we move on to uh, Ben's pick for this yes. this edition of the Ebert's Great Movies List sure. review? All right, Ben, do you want to introduce this feature film and explain to us uh, what, if any, history you have with it and uh, why you chose to pick this movie in particular? All right. Uh, 
Solaris from 1972, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. A psychologist is sent to a space station orbiting a planet called Solaris to investigate the death of a doctor and the mental problems of cosmonauts on the station. He soon discovers that the water on the planet is a type of brain which brings out repressed memories and obsessions. So um, I actually have zero history with this movie. I had never seen it. I barely knew anything about it other Mm -hmm. than it's supposedly a very important and very influential sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know anything about Andrei Tarkovsky. So um, just kind of picked it just on a whim. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah. Yeah, this is the only Tarkovsky movie that I've seen. But he, from what I understand, is very Um, Mm well-renowned. There's several of his movies on Criterion, I believe. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Tiny, how about you? Yeah, similar to Ben, I have no history with this movie at all. Um, Other than I saw the um, George Clooney one from Mm -hmm. early 2000s, I want to say. 2002. 2002. Mm -hmm. And I literally remember zero from that movie. Interesting. I, I, I remember nothing at all. I don't know why. And I saw that um, Ben rewatched it, uh, presumably in preparation of this recording, but we can get his thoughts on that, but continue. Yeah, time. Sure. Um, so that was my, that's my only relation to the movie. Um, I kind of, I, I had, I really didn't know hardly anything about it other than mm-hmm. it was a famous title. That's, yeah. that's really about it. I, I have no history with it. I wish, I wish there was more, more of a story there, but there's <laughs> not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, a couple of years ago, I blind bought it on Blu-ray from Criterion Collection. Um, just because I, I have such a strong affinity and flirtation with science fiction in general. And that's been growing just throughout my entire adulthood and childhood. And, um, yeah, it's just something that I've grown more and more in love with as science fiction. And so I blind bought it and it's interesting because, I saw it the one time. I watched it the one time after I bought it, so it's been a few years, and I was gobsmacked by it. I loved it. I was really enraptured by it. I was I was entranced. I was very much on board with it. And we'll get into our thoughts and everything, but I mean, <laughs> this viewing was like <laughs> this I came away from this viewing thinking this is 100% a frame of mind movie. Mm. Like it is the type of movie that you have to be in a very particular frame of mind to watch it. And I don't know if that is due to uh, like cultural difference from like the, like the, the difference between a Russian, like Russian filmmaking techniques and storytelling and, and Russian culture versus America or what, but I was, I'm, I'm very curious uh, to, talk to you guys about Solaris uh, here shortly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Ben, you watched the Soderbergh remake. Um, yes. Do you want to talk about that just really briefly? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest, uh, one of the bigger knocks against the Tarkovsky version is that it's so fucking long. <laughs> yes. Um, which yeah. will talk more about but yeah i have a very um (laughs) frustrating anecdote about that (laughs) so the steven soderbergh version is over an hour shorter so Mm -hmm. okay there's points in in that one's favor um but to go into the plot it is a lot like the the tarkovsky version i feel like was very kind of 
maybe not obtuse, but just kind of indirect on some of the story elements, like mm-hmm. the the dead wife element. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soderbergh lays that out so much more clearly, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's so much more about George Clooney is the uh, main character, uh, and it's so much more about him and his internal uh life and there's there's a lot more uh flashbacks to his life on earth and oh. with his now dead wife mm-hmm. um so that is set up a little better um it's also uh it's the the cast is fantastic it's got um uh Viola Davis is the oh, wow. kind of scientist who's kind of more closed off mm-hmm. um and then Jeremy Davies is just <laughs> nice. doing his Jeremy Davies thing. Yeah. Um, so he, he, that, that was really enjoyable. So, um, but yeah, uh, also you get to see George Clooney's butt a couple times. So. Oh, okay. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> Definitely worth a watch then. Mm-hmm. All time classic there. So yeah. Do you think it's uh, worth a watch though? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Especially if you were turned off by, the length of time okay. uh, yeah. in this one. Gotcha. I Is think it streaming anywhere? HBO Max. Okay. Or, th- no, no, sorry. Uh, it might be on like like a premium service, like Peacock Premium or okay. something, but I don't know for sure, but I rented it from the library, so. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, let's talk, let's dig into, to Solaris. I think we're going to go ahead and do a spoiler thing, I guess, if you guys are cool with that. Yeah, yeah. A spoiler section? I guess, or maybe we'll just talk and then naturally come to spoilers. Should we separate it? I think you could spoil this, like, we could do a spoiler section, but I Mm -hmm. think if we were to spoil it, like, I don't think spoiling the ending really spoils the movie hinders the rest of the The experience okay so we'll we'll kind of talk around any type of spoilers or whatever if we find something that we want to dig more into we'll do a spoiler section okay so as regarding the i have a funny anecdote about my experience watching this the first time and watching it the second time so I don't remember reading this piece of trivia the first time i watched it but i remember the first time i watched it there is a very long sequence where the character of Burton is traveling in a car. Yeah. It is, it's kind of hypnotizing. Like I remember when I first watched it, I was very much like trying to meet, meet the art halfway. I was trying to, to like understand like what the intention was and what was going on. Um, and I was into it. I was in, I was interested in it. I was like, this is kind of hypnotic. It's kind of like, maybe it's supposed to be like a visual representation of travel in contrast to, uh, to, to what is it? Chris traveling to far reaches of, of like existence or whatever. Um, and so I probably read this piece of trivia la- the first time I watched it, but I forgot about it. And I read this piece of trivia while this scene was going on for fucking ever. <laughs> um, this piece of trivia, and I just, I had to laugh so fucking hard at this. The trivia is 
The extended scene following Burton as he rides back to the city was filmed in Osaka and Tokyo. Foreign travel was not easily approved, and the reason this long scene was left in the movie was probably to justify that trip for the director and crew. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. So that, I think in a nutshell... Is maybe maybe representative represent representative of my experience with this movie, and I think it's an interesting contrast to two thousand one: A Space Odyssey in terms of my own perception of the art. But it's funny to me that like they're they're two relatively contemporary science fiction properties and and films. Um, both are kind of abstract and open to interpretation and have different like subtext and meanings and stuff but what i find interesting is that like 2001 obviously you guys just heard me i rave about that movie i love that movie it is defined or it has sculpted the way that i view art and the way that i consume media and everything in solaris i'm like i i can't find a way into this i can't I can't find a road in Osaka and Tokyo to get in into this movie. (laughs) And like, I was just this time around, I was just kind of, kind of just along for the ride and, and struggling to kind of get into it, which is weird because the first time I watched it, I rated it four and a half stars Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I don't understand it, but it's amazing. Um, But yeah, this was just a very cold experience for me. So how did you guys feel about it? Yeah, um, I definitely agree. It is, uh, like this movie wished it moved at a snail's pace. It is, uh, there's just so much fluff that could be taken out of it. And I was watching it the second time around and just trying to figure out, like, there's so many shots that feels like he's trying to say something or there's, trying to go for some kind of metaphor or something, but I, maybe it's just my dumb lizard brain. I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) Um, like there's one point, uh, somewhere on the spaceship where he, someone's having a conversation and I guess Tarkovsky's way of finishing that scene was just to pan the camera over to like a vase in the room and I, I just oh, couldn't yeah. figure out what that was for. Yeah. Uh, or what, maybe, maybe it's just like, he's trying to say something about like taking in details to compile a memory or something. Cause there's mm. kind of that theme throughout the, the Solaris aspect of it. But I don't know. That's, that feels like a bit of a stretch to me. Mm. Plus there is like, yeah. There's this one kind of worked for me. There's a shot near the end where he just like zooms in on Kelvin's ear and it gets super close up and super weird. And that I kind of figured was kind of like, yeah, just like taking in details Mm -hmm. to remember a person and how you remember that person. Yeah, because isn't that scene like he's talking about his wife or he's, he's talking about like why he loves her or why he loves this version of her or something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny cause my read of that was that like, Oh, he's telling us that humans should listen more, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. 
Tiny, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I, I think to contextualize this movie and its in its um politically and and the time frame it was released mm-hmm. is really fascinating to me because you know it was released behind the the Iron Curtain. Yeah, right. You know, uh, this this is a movie where it's there's not a lot of art that came out of the Soviet Union, at mm-hmm. least not that is world renowned. Maybe right. maybe in in Russia or uh, the former Soviet countries, maybe some mm-hmm. of that art is, is is renowned. But um, this is a really interesting piece because you know then at, at the time this was released, it had to be approved by who the mm-hmm. hell knows how many soviet government agencies and yeah if, if they don't like it it doesn't get released you know and it, right artists were so many artists were not just hamstrung or like kept from creating art they were deported or sent to a mm-hmm. gulag or killed you know right. in this this movie came out of that environment that's pretty yeah. amazing when you think about it um so that that's one thing that i was thinking about the whole time i was like that's it's crazy that this is a product of the soviet union that's mm-hmm. crazy now it's it was 72 it was you know after stalin right. which he was so draconian and mm-hmm. that's a lot of the worst stories of that stuff comes from uh, he died in the mid 50s or something maybe 60 something like that so this is after that time but still you couldn't get away with shit in the soviet union yeah and you know, right that's just it's just how it was but i think that's a really interesting aspect of the movie and it's kind of amazing that something like this came out of that environment um but yeah. uh to to your point ben the the first half at least for me before the intermission is a fucking slog mm-hmm. yeah. and i was i was watching this movie i was like i was kind of mad i was like <laughs> what what is great about this fucking movie mm-hmm. why is it on this list and i was like this i mm-hmm. i for me right now this movie's terrible like this mm-hmm. is a one star movie right now and then they're not even speaking american <laughs> <laughs> um but i you know i watched it in two sittings i watched mm-hmm. the, i i, I took a break at the intermission and yeah. um, I watched it like a compl- like a whole different day uh, the second half but after the intermission this turns into a damn good movie and I, I was uh-huh. really surprised at how much I ended up liking it mm-hmm. um, after that intermission mm-hmm. um, nice so yeah I'm, I'm, I was a, a little bit taken aback by it um, mm-hmm. yeah I, I ended up liking it quite a bit nice so yeah we can we can get into that later but uh yeah absolutely. Th- th- those are my initial reactions i guess okay yeah, initial thoughts nice that, that's another thing i'll say about the soderbergh version like all the shit on earth that takes up what like 45 minutes and yeah. tarkovsky's mm-hmm. happens in like five ten minutes gotcha as so, it should yeah yes yeah uh, what did you guys think since we're kind of talking about that first portion and everything what did you guys think about the weird and and it's it's done on the space station too, but what did you guys think of that weird like color effect? Like it mm-hmm. like when they're watching the video, it like changes to to like black and white, but it has this b- blue hue. Yeah. And like I think it's when 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 um what's his name? Kelvin is is on this like he's moving something in a room and it does that same thing like was that like an artistic choice or was that something that's like, oh, I don't like, uh, you know, let's drive around uh, Osaka and Tokyo for <laughs> half an hour uh, thing? Do you guys um, have any thoughts on that? I don't know. Because there's there's no like clean, as far as I could tell, there wasn't like a clear cut uh, way to distinguish one from another. Yeah. Because um, it happens later, like mm-hmm. near the end. It does the, the black and white-ish. Yeah. Um, thing, but I couldn't really 
again, maybe I'm just too dumb uh, mm-hmm. to figure out well, not, why. Mm-hmm, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, and and then there's there's another sequence at one point where it's like a like a sepia tone kind of mm. yeah for a minute or so. So hmm. I I don't know. Um, yeah. I I didn't really read. I didn't do any research, unfortunately, about mm-hmm. uh, what that was about. I just did my research on that one piece of trivia. So <laughs> <laughs> I I don't have an interpretation of it. I because okay. again in this initial this first before the intermission, I was so disinterested uh, mm-hmm. that very little was jumping out to me. So gotcha. I I really don't have a, an interpretation of it, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Something I felt that was kind of lacking was and and I feel like this is maybe a disservice. Uh, or maybe this is maybe this is incongruous with my my thoughts on 2001: A Space Odyssey, but I kind of feel like what was maybe a little bit of a disservice was that I felt like the characterization wasn't as strong as it could have been. In particular, Kelvin's relationship, and I mean this is this is complete like this is the most meaty characterization of the movie. But Kelvin's relationship with Harry, Harry, um, his wife, both like like the the uh for lack of a better word the aberrations or or the the uh duplicates on the on mm-hmm. the space station like that is kind of the the central focus of the movie and there is plenty there like there's that very long monologue where he talks about how he loves her but it, like he he didn't really love his wife but he loves this version of her now mm. that she's gone and it's like it's something that that i feel like is is where i could grapple with like an interesting kind of human aspect of it and a human, like the kind of human condition and, and like the experience of love and, and attachment to others and everything like those kind of concepts. It's, it flirts with that, but I kind of feel like having that in the midst, uh, no pun intended, but in this ocean of just abstract discombobulating, um, kind of interpretive, just art kind of just made it drown a little bit and and didn't make it the as focused as it as I feel like it should have been to be a more interesting experience for me. Um yeah, so that that's that's my probably my biggest uh gripe about it. Um yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's so weird like the first time that I watched this I it took me a while to figure out like oh, that's his wife. That's his mm. dead wife because mm-hmm. He, like, you see that one photo of her mm-hmm. uh, while he's on Earth, and then yeah. it's another probably 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. before you see her again. And he, like, you can kind of tell that he's grieving mm-hmm. uh, while he's on Earth, but he he doesn't even say her name. Yeah. Um, so it it was kind of hard to tell like mm-hmm. who the hell she was when she first shows up you know and right. if i remember correctly i think when he's looking at the photo he even says something it's something kind of ambiguous like i haven't talked to you in a while and it's like okay mm-hmm. and like me watching it and knowing like you know the backstory because i watched it before i was just like okay like that's understandable to me but like to someone who isn't who isn't aware of the plot watching it for the first time it's like okay so did she leave him and he's yeah. he's i yeah it's i don't know yeah um, it's a bit of a messy movie <laughs> yeah yeah 
Do you guys think there was a cultural kind of block with with us as dumb Americans um, <laughs> watching this Russian movie from 1972? I I don't think so. Again, I think the the context of the fact that this is a product of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. is was so influential on it. Like, I feel like if this movie was made today and it was an American movie, there'd be like gratuitous sex in it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, cursing stuff like that. But again, I, th- you know, 1970s Soviet union, you can't get away with that stuff. And right. so I feel like he had to dance around that making this movie. And I, I think there's some subtext there It in that regard. It sort of made me think of like the, um, Stanley Kubrick's Lolita, where oh yeah, sec- the concept of sex is like underlying that entire fucking movie, mm-hmm. but there's not th- there's like a kiss in that movie and that's it. Like there's no sex in that movie. It's crazy, right. um, and it it sort of made me think of it in that regard because the actress playing his his wife or the duplicate of his wife is really attractive and a beautiful woman, and mm-hmm. he would be crazy to, as a straight <laughs> man to not have sexual desire for that woman. And mm-hmm. there, there's none of that in the movie, and it's it's really interesting. Um, but I think it, I think it's like it's like a subtext. It's underlying that he's probably banging this duplicate. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I'm not trying to be crude, but um, I just I found that interesting that how they danced around that. And I, it, it, I'd be curious. I think I think some of that would be lost if it were made today, and it was yeah. more more um, blatant or gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there, there's there's a delicate artistry to that. I guess is mm-hmm. something that I kind of noticed. Yeah, I don't well know said. if that's, that really answers your question or whatever. Um, but <laughs> I don't remember the question. Okay, that's it, it <laughs> oh was, the Russian, yeah, yeah. I, I don't for for the culture transfer or the culture shock. I don't I don't know if there's really much of that in this movie. That's that's uh, really just for Russian audiences, I guess, or Soviet right. audiences in the seventies. I don't I don't know if there's much that would really mm-hmm. yeah uh, that's lost in translation. I guess I yeah yeah yeah. Um, the big thing for me was that, you know, Americans didn't come and kick everyone's ass. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's stupid. Why didn't the rockets say USA on the side? <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, they weren't speaking American. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I don't know. What else can we say about it? <laughs> um, I, I just, my biggest takeaway was that this feels like one of those movies where it's more interesting to talk about it than to actually watch it. Yeah. Sure, sure. Because I think the ideas that it has at play are really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of this place that creates, it's not a ghost, it's not a robot, Mm -hmm. but it's your own version of a memory. Right. it's, It's not a replication, it's just how you remember this person. And I think that is really fascinating. Absolutely. And what's interesting about that is that I think that this movie, like you said, I agree, it's something that's more interesting to talk about than watch. But also, I think that the influence of it, uh, the influence that it that it has, you know, given to filmmakers creates more 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 art that's my speed. <laughs> Cause like yeah. I obviously like like that um that that read that you had of it or that you referenced just now like that's i mean annihilation <laughs> right. by alex garland plays mm. with a lot of those same concepts and is endlessly more interesting to me and and uh enjoyable to me yeah i was thinking about that too like mm-hmm. 
Spike Jones is her. Yes. Uh, to some extent, the Truman Show, mm-hmm. um, Interstellar, mm-hmm. uh, Inception, yeah. uh, Ex I'm, Machina. Yeah. 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 A bit. Um, Ad Astra. Oh yeah. Uh, just I'm sure there's tons more. Just sure. Mm-hmm. Just this conceptual sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And even like devs, uh, sort of. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, David Lowry's The Ghost Story. Um, oh, yeah. More or less. Yeah. I've never seen yeah. it, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. Very good. Uh, nice. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But yeah, just just the way that this movie brings up these just human uh, existential ideas mm-hmm. is is really fascinating. And just I'm sure there's a ton more uh movies that are influenced by it in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I'm ultimately kind of bummed by my viewing of it this time because that's the ki- that's the type of science fiction that I eat up. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. is I mean not to invoke its name, but it's the it's the reason why I give Star Wars such a hard time because it's <laughs> while I mean Star Wars is a different beast. It's sci-fi fantasy. It's it's and it's meant to be kind of it, it's not meant to be as contemplative and existential as the science fiction that I consume and I, I that I get a lot out of. Um but yeah, and that's why I'm kind of bummed that I didn't get a lot out of Solaris this time around. So maybe it'll be something that I that I'll revisit sometime in the future and and gain a new perspective on it and and mm-hmm. kind of latch onto it a little bit. But yeah. ultimately, I'm just kind of kind of bummed by how disconnected I felt to it. Yeah, I'm yeah. Um, one of the other sort of themes or aspects that jumped out at me is um, I I am a sucker for uh, like a mad scientist story. Oh yeah. Um, probably the best and maybe the first example is, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. just a mad scientist will will do anything for the experiment or whatever. Um, And I think this is kind of a, this, this movie kind of qualifies because I feel like um, Kelvin is the main guy. That's his name, right? Yeah. He's a psychologist, which is a Mm -hmm. form of science. And I feel like he's thrust into this experiment and he's, his reaction to it, I think is so, it's wild he's he he knows he's being duped in a way or he knows yeah. it's not real but he f- he just dives into it and goes all in for it and wants to live in this experiment in a way yeah. and wants to be a part of it and wants to give himself into it give himself to it i guess in, mm-hmm. in a way and it's i think it's a form of madness or craziness psychosis whatever you want to call yeah. it space madness right yeah. <laughs> but he's conscious of it you know he's he's not he's not delusional he, mm-hmm. he understands what's going on but he doesn't care i guess or he he doesn't he's not bothered by that yeah. um I th- and it's it's not you know one of my favorite mad scientist movies is um um altered states oh yeah fucking love that movie mm-hmm. and that's such an extreme <laughs> he uh, william hurt in that movie is so extreme and he's uh, balls to the wall and just <laughs> reckless abandon and yeah. taking his safety into not taking his safety into consideration at all and stuff Talk like that about psycho psychedelic drugs yeah totally yeah. totally <laughs> um but th- this is such i think I, again i think this qualifies as a mad scientist thing, but it's such a departure from something like that. Or even Dr. Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. flipping yeah. the switches and uh, harnessing lightning to create a monster. It's yeah. it's so different from that, but I, I, it just felt 
thematically like a bit of a a bit of a mad scientist story to me and yeah that's kind of one of my favorite things about it i guess which is maybe a goofy interpretation no that's interesting i think that whenever i revisit this at some point (laughs) um i'll i i will hopefully call back this episode and and uh and maybe maybe uh you know try to take that into consideration when i watch it again Mm -hmm. because that's an interesting take okay Yeah. yeah um have we talked out solaris i know that we're running a little bit late i'm sorry no that's okay okay um one of the last things is the mm-hmm. can we do the ending talk about the ending oh uh yeah let's Our, go ahead and talk about the ending as i say we're kind yeah. of winding down so. i'm not gonna yeah I'm, I'm not gonna play any music or anything but check the show notes and hopefully i've stalled enough for you to skip over it and everything mm-hmm. your uh, your mind will gloss over all of this by the time you get to this point in the movie. <laughs> yes, <Right>. yes. <laughs> okay, so Tiny? Well, I feel like the 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 first chunk of the movie, while I kind of hated it, mm-hmm. what what it does is it sort of sets up the ending in a way because I feel like the, the first part of the movie is sort of uh, Kelvin trying to give himself an idyllic lifestyle or, or setting him up in that, that kind of rural cottage where he's sort of mm-hmm. hanging out is, is again, sort of an ideal thing. He obviously loves being by the pond and stuff like that. And yeah. that little cottage and it's, it's very idyllic and beautiful. And, mm-hmm. um, and in the end of the movie, he's sort of transports his fantasy to that idyllic setting. And he's yeah going all in on this, delusional lifestyle that's not real but I, I don't know i think it's i think it's kind of it, it was cool and like i wasn't like holy shit this is amazing blown away but right. i was like oh that's yeah. pretty cool that he took it to that level and okay went all in on his del- on this delusion that he knows is a delusion but mm-hmm. he he almost it's like he doesn't care or he wants to be yeah. wants to be in the delusion and he right. takes it a step further by committing himself into this into the delusion and, 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 and bringing in his ideal setting into it. And I, I just thought that was a really, I, I thought it was cool. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. sort of, a, um, it's almost a, that ending, you know, where he's, he, he throws himself into the delusion or whatever. He's living mm-hmm. in the ocean of the Solaris ocean or whatever. Yeah. Um, is, is cool. And it's, uh, I don't know if this is the first example of somebody kind of doing something like that, sort of the, I right. don't know, behind the looking glass kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it it was a little, it wasn't a big shock, I guess. But I, maybe in 1972 it was. Yeah. Especially for Soviet audiences. Mm-hmm. It's it's a cool ending, and, and I definitely like yeah. it. But it was a little, um, it, it wasn't as big of a shock as I guess I think it should have been for me. Yeah. I don't know. How did you guys it, feel about it? It definitely presents another uh moral conundrum yeah uh, right in mm-hmm. addition to what what else was already happening um like you you try to put yourself in his shoes like would you rather live in, in this fantasy or would you you know accept reality and uh and no matter how sad it makes you mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm yeah, I I agree. I honestly didn't have much thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an interesting visual, and it kind of seems like it's trying to do the kind of open ended thing. But as a button on the movie, it kind of just seems like 
I mean, I was kind of just done with it by that yeah, point. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm curious. Uh, I it's something I I'd, I'd probably try to read more into mm-hmm. next time. Yeah, it's unlike yeah. 2001. It it can make you think, right? But it doesn't necessarily command the audience to think the way that 2001 does, right? But yeah, yeah. it made me think a lot. It just coincidentally, it's, it's a more mm-hmm. personal uh, introspection, sure. Whereas yeah. uh, sure. 2001 is kind of an existential, right? Question. Good way. That's a good way yeah. to put it. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so thumbs up rating, and would it be on our great movies list? Uh, Tiny, do you want to get? Sure. No, Ben, do you want to get care. us kicked off because it was your pick? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I will say thumbs up just because of, like I said, the discussion that it uh, prompts you to have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first time I gave it four stars. Second time I think I gave it four and a half, and mm-hmm. maybe that was a little generous. I don't know. I might bump it back down to four um and i think against my better instincts i think i probably would put it on my great movies list just because like i said it is so influential uh even though i like like i said her is like one of my favorite movies of all time so Mm -hmm. i like that one better than this um but i mean you you gotta give respect to the original Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Do you think watching the remake enhanced your read of the original or did it have any effect on it? Um, it, my second time watching the original, I was trying to pinpoint like not only the differences, but just how, how it laid out the themes and everything. Okay. Um, and yeah, watch, watching the remake, I was, uh, I don't know if I, how I would have felt about the remake if I had just gone into it cold and not knowing anything about the original or the original story. Hmm. So I'm, I, I would love to discuss with you guys, uh, the Soderbergh version, um, at some point. Mm -hmm. So check it out. Nice. Cool. Okay. Tiny? Um, I'd give it a thumbs up, definitely. Um, that the first part is almost makes me not want to, but <laughs> right. But yeah, I'd I'd give it a thumbs up because my my full reaction is is definitely positive. Um mm-hmm. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd. I think I'd be more like three and a half okay. now that I've sat with it a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um and I would I would I um I don't really have to think about it. I would definitely put it on a great movies list because I think nice. it's I, I, it's it's such a strange movie that I think it's worthy of people watching it. Like I think it's uh, I think it needs to be seen. It's one of those movies that needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, so I would yeah I would definitely put it on a great movies list. Nice. Um, for me, I would say thumbs up. I rated it three and a half stars. That's from my second viewing. My first viewing a couple years ago was four and a half stars. So it's a pretty big drop. Um, in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it on my theoretical great movies list, but I would substitute in probably Annihilation um, Mm. in its place um, on the great movies list. So, yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, so those are our our thoughts on Solaris from 1972. And we're going to round out this episode with a discussion of Tiny's pick, which is Dog Day Afternoon from 1975. Tiny, do you want to read the plot summary of uh, Dog Day Afternoon? I do. Uh, Dog Day Afternoon from 1975, directed by Sidney Lumet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Based on the true story of a would-be Brooklyn bank robber's John... Wojtowicz and Salvatore Naturel, Sonny and Sal attempt a bank heist, which quickly turns sour and escalates into a hostage hostage situation and standoff with the police. As Sonny's motives for the robbery are slowly revealed and things become more complicated, the heist turns into a media circus. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're going to spoil Dog Day Afternoon <laughs> just to have that put in there uh, so I can cut it in. Um... So I, yeah, I, um, I picked this movie. I saw this a long time ago. I watched this mm-hmm. when I was like a teenager and, uh, nice. really liked it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's, uh, oftentimes when I'm worked up about something, I will scream Attica <laughs> right. just cause I love that. It's one of the probably most <laughs> iconic scene from the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's such a, I love the style of the movie and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a, um, improvised movie a lot a lot of improv in it um but it feels like the kind of movie where improv would kill it or it, it doesn't seem like it, yeah. would, it would naturally flow with an improv style mm-hmm. but um all the actors did such a good job and made it work yeah. um there's also some really cool camera work throughout the movie mm-hmm. there's a lot of practical um practical sets like they're not sets they're actually mm-hmm. they rented out and converted a Location. space yeah. into a bank and stuff like that and um it's it's not a it's not a set it's a it's it's a actual location so that's always fun um and uh early al pacino was so good you know yes. um it's it's just a really cool movie that i think is uh mm-hmm. um i feel like our generation doesn't doesn't know a lot about this movie or it's it doesn't have uh i guess the way that something like the godfather is like early right. early pacino um people always point to the godfather or even serpico over this mm-hmm. movie and it kind of bums me out because i think this is one of my favorite pacino performances oh my god yes yeah i, yeah. Love, I really yes. love this movie yeah i so my 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 immediate reaction when watching this movie was like i imagine i mean okay yes pacino's performance is incredible mm-hmm and my immediate reaction was, imagine if he sustained that level of commitment and <laughs> and performance throughout his whole career. <laughs> um, because he has become, like, he became decades ago, a few, couple decades ago, kind of a, kind of a, a punchline. Right. In his, in like, the hoo Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's that line is... I don't know if it's, I think maybe Heat, but he's like, she's got a great ass. <laughs> yes, that is from Heat. Yeah. God. And it's just like, he's he's kind of, he becomes a caricature. And right. like, I mean, granted, he did give an incredible performance in um, Jack and Jill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating, but God damn, his performance is amazing. Yeah. And then... Add in the fact that John Cazale, mm-hmm. um, that he, I mean, uh, tragically, uh, he was in four movies 
all of which were nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he he died of of cancer. Um, uh, he had cancer during the filming of The Deer Hunter and then died shortly after filming. Right. Um, and it's just like, there was a Twitter kind of, kind of like meme thing going around where it was like, if you could pick one, one artist uh, who died way too early to have 50 more years of, and this could be a great Patreon question, mm-hmm. um, 50 more years of like uninterrupted uh, creativity and everything, who would you pick? And like my my response was Anton Yelchin, mm. um, just because everything. But also like watching this, I was like, hey, I mean, he would be up there too. I yeah. mean, just a brief filmography of just incredible work. Um, yeah. gone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually give my thoughts on the movie as a whole. I really liked it. Um, I did not realize that Sidney Lumet directed this until the credits, until <laughs> uh, the opening credits. And like I was delighted um, after having uh, covered network network. Yep. And Twelve Angry Men is one of my favorite movies. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like I was delighted to see his name pop up. And yeah, it's just it's it's incredible to me that this was in 1975. And I mean, he covered a lot of this similar stuff in Network, but just the the media circus that ensues and how like criminals are uh, like the, i don't know the way that they're painted is i mean granted it's a rip from the headline story and everything so you know a lot of it's true as i as i understand it but just like the way that 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 culture has um perpetuated and and grown over the course of the last several decades is just like this is like it's it's really i don't want to say prescient but it's like yeah. it's something that's like i can see correlations to today's culture super easily <laughs> yeah um yeah, ben? yeah the, this kind of in in that aspect this mm-hmm. kind of set the stage for network like, yeah you can see Did network come before it or after network was right after this okay right like the year after mm-hmm. yeah god damn i've can never you imagine seen i've never seen network <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's so good i know yeah. i need to yeah it's fantastic um just the fact that you said that i'm just ma- i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore <laughs> um but i mean just god damn that one two punch of oh yeah dog day afternoon in network jesus yeah and they're they're very different movies mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this one feels very like low budget mm-hmm. um and then network is you know a list stars and, yeah um but yeah um so this was my first time seeing it um and of course, I had seen references to it, uh, and there have been mm-hmm. there's plenty of Im- imitators of what this movie is trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had seen it referenced. I remember uh, in a review of uh, one of Matt and I's favorite movies of all time, Good Time. Oh uh, yes, the movie that I totally have seen. Yes, um, on your recommendation, <laughs> and I have. <laughs> I've watched it, I mean, several times, and it's it's a it's a damn good time. <laughs> God, but yeah, it, it, if you <laughs> if you like this, uh, good time is is a very good homage to this. Nice, I, I would say, okay. um, in in so many respects. But anyway, um, yeah, Al Pacino, uh, fucking fantastic, like yeah. one of his best that I've ever seen. Mm. Um. I mean, it's hard to top Jack and Jill, but... So. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then 
Yeah, I wish like he would have sang about a Dunkachino in this, but <laughs> alas, he doesn't. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, Sydney, Sydney Lumet, just, mm-hmm. uh, just great way of directing this. Yes. Plus, uh, there's, I, we're not going to do a spoiler section for this, are we? Uh, probably not. We, okay. we probably can, but. Yeah. The I'll just say the uh reveal of Al Pacino's character's motivations for oh, yeah. for robbing the bank like jaw dropping almost mm-hmm. just the way like you could not imagine a movie like this in 1975 and, yes adding in that kind of subplot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. fascinating how like ahead of its time it yeah. is right um in that in that respect it's it's really interesting that and obviously the media circus as well is just really um interesting in the kind of humanizing way that he that the movie um presents sunny and sal um as they're pulling off the the robbery and everything i by the way i don't have any real history with this i read the screenplay as a teenager which i mentioned last time but um i'd never seen it and just the the way that they introduce the robbery i mean it's the first scene of the movie it's right at the out uh, right at the outset but the way that they the way that the movie depicts sunny and sal is like they're not boneheaded they're not they're not cartoon characters, but they're not experienced. They mm-hmm. haven't thought through their actions. And in a way, the movie really humanizes them and creates this this kind of, I don't want to say relatability, but this kind of like... Humanization. Pro- humanization, this protagonism with mm-hmm. them. And like, it's, it's just so interesting how... Uh, Lumet and everyone involved can do that without creating this farcical kind of thing. I mean, that is such a tightrope that like you see them struggling through through it and everything and through all the the wrenches that have been thrown into their to their plan and everything, but it's never like a oh shit this now or oh my god, I can't believe that I have a uh I I accidentally drank toilet water. Oh, I'm dumb. <laughs> But it's just this ground level, like realistic, granted it's based on a true story, but um, realistic depiction of just these, I I guess, desperate to an extent, but uh, people that are that are engaging in this criminal activity. To to your point about them not being dumb, <laughs> there are some hilarious moments, especially oh, yeah. early I on. I was about, to, I was about I was, to bring that up. That yeah. I was really surprised by. Yeah. And just based on how, maybe not dumb, but how mm-hmm. just in over their heads they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. yes, perfect. Like, <laughs> there's a... Uh, uh, Obviously, there's there's the bit with the the third guy who, uh-huh. like who doesn't <laughs> Just, know how he's gonna get home. Yeah, yeah. He, he chickens out, and then like Al Pacino goes to spray paint the security cameras, mm-hmm. but he's too <laughs> short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. Uh, I I wish that the rest of the movie would have been as funny as the beginning, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. I just loved how hilarious it is early on, and it kind of gets you sucked into it even more. Yeah, 
and even some of those little comedy bits here and there, like when he puts when he puts the the women in the vault, and then they're like, "Well, we, we're not going to sit here. We're not going to be in here, uh, the air and everything." And they're they're trying they're they're like complaining about it, and like the the kind of lead woman who, according to trivia, was a mentor, I guess, of Al Pacino when he was coming up, and like he lived he lived with her and her her and her husband while he was str- a struggling actor, I guess, hmm. but. Um, when she's like, well, I need to pee. Like we're, we're going to have to pee and everything. And like just the way that the, it subverts this kind of bank robbery kind of idea of like, okay, these, these robbers are not in control. Um, and the hostages are, are, are commanding the, the situation more than they are. And it's, it's funny, but it's layered in this humanization of Sonny and Sal in such an interesting way. Um, and then I, I found it really compelling later in the movie when, like, it becomes Sonny trying to figure out a way out of the predicament. Predicament, mm-hmm. And the relationship between him and Sal and how Sal is along for the ride and he's he believes him. He believes that he'll get them out of there. And, like, he says, like, oh, we're, this is going to work out and everything. The, the confidence without having a plan is really interesting humanization for me for for the characters but but yeah um yeah so um i had one comment about ben's comment about uh network having an a-list cast and everything yeah uh my comment was like so in other words comparing dog day afternoon with network uh you might say that network has a great cast hilarious yeah so tiny uh you talk now yeah (laughs) <laughs> um i uh i fully agree with what I, everything you guys said i'm i'm kind of losing steam here but yes yeah, um here. yeah the uh the co- the comedy is one of my favorite parts of this movie and yeah. and um to this day i i have never been in a situation where i could use the line this line but i have always wanted to be in a situation where i could do the whole um hey, kiss me Come on, kiss me. Oh, I, yeah. I like to be kissed when I'm getting fucked. Like, <laughs> yes. I've never been in a situation where I could use that line. But it's, I it's had my, that same thought. It's one of my favorite lines <laughs> for the whole movie. And it's like, it, how do you get yourself in a position? I don't know. I, just, yeah. I guess I've never felt like I've been getting screwed over so bad. That right. I could actually use that line. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the, the comedy is some of my favorite stuff. And, and some of it's so subtle and i don't even mm-hmm. know if it's intentional um like again early on is is the best stuff but like yeah. when the cops show up like i think um uh uh sunny runs to the back and he's like well the cops are here or <laughs> yeah. something like that and he's just the way he says it the delivery is mm. I, I don't even think he was trying to be funny but it yeah it totally came across that way yeah um yeah and just the whole audacity and the the shock i guess of get my wife down here and then it's oh yeah they pull this man out of the car you're like what the fuck right <laughs> yeah. that's a dude like what's happening right. here and yeah um that, that's again it, totally ahead of its time mm-hmm. um but yeah and and it's it's funny how earlier on you guys were talking about the um uh the the, the social commentary in a way mm. the how it becomes a media circus yeah um and it it seems it's funny to watch it now because it's it's relevant, but it also seems so tame. Like, yeah. like I feel like the uh, our reaction to um, li- reaction to live things is so 
so different now and yeah. like the, mm-hmm. i feel like the news vans showing up is is such a trope and right. now it's it's a joke because yeah. it's like everyone has a news van in their fucking pocket right and it's like stuff becomes stuff goes viral and it's mm-hmm. forgotten about in 20 minutes you know yeah and it's, it's so different compared to how things unfold in this movie mm-hmm. um but it, it's you know for decades it was such a this movie was such a uh prescient to borrow your word man mm-hmm. it's such a prescient social commentary um yeah. and it's still it still has value now and it's still relevant now it's just it's it's in a different way because because yeah. of our relationship to social media and we all have mm-hmm. phones in our pockets and yeah st- stuff like this movie <laughs> could happen all the time and, yeah and it's it's not it's not uh it's hardly even noteworthy anymore mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's funny um yeah. i have one question and one point to make um Tiny, you had mentioned that there's a lot of improvising. Is was the Attica bit improvised? It I was. feel like I read that once upon a time. Yep. Okay. Yes, was. and it was to great effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I also read that uh there's a bit where Al Pacino asked John Cazal like what foreign country he would want to yeah. go to, and his response was Wyoming. Right. Yeah. And Cazal improvised <laughs> that. Yeah. Um right. <laughs> but the the point that I wanted to make was uh, about the the media circus and the crowd mm-hmm. frenzy and all that. There's a really understated part where early on, obviously, the crowd is on Al Pacino's side and they're cheering for him and they want mm-hmm. him to, I don't know, get away with it or whatever. But then after they learn that he's gay, they kind of turn on him and they start like oh, yeah. making fun of him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really fascinating aspect of it mm-hmm. and a really uh fascinating um almost a point to make because it does feel very unfortunately accurate for the time yeah right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um do you think do you guys i don't know if it's ever actually addressed or uh answered in the movie but the guy who shows up the the guy who drives the the van, the bus, mm-hmm. in the end that they all take to go. Um, the the guy with the afro who shows yeah. up mm-hmm. driving. Do you think he actually was a cop? I wondered about that too. Yeah, me too. Through their little interaction, Sonny is like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, okay, I want him, cop. Nice try, cop." Yeah, and he, it unknowingly picks the act. Well, I guess he knew I, he knew the guy was right. a cop, but uh, yeah. I'm going to say yes, because I feel like intentionally, I, I feel like his, that that driver's performance mm-hmm. was intentionally like too much. He, like, over, he over overplayed his hand a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I th- and I think that that was calculated and that's why he, it signaled to him. Because he's right. talking about like how like, oh yeah, my my wife asked me even this and all that. And I'm like, no, I got to go. To, like he goes on that whole spiel. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is like he, he he's doing too much and right. like intentionally okay. so. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think he was yeah. too, but yeah, it's kind of he just didn't seem like a, um like a killer cuz the plan was to have him right. pull the gun out of the the armrest and mm-hmm. shoot right. uh, John Cazale, you know. Right. He just didn't seem like the bull whereas the other guy mm-hmm. totally fits that profile. Yeah. So I don't know how could the cops totally plan yeah. all that out? I don't know, but The other guy, Lance Henriksen? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was just a right. cool. early role for him. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that the guy with the afro. I love his performance because oh, it's, so, it's so small and like mm-hmm. the way he has that kind of awkward look. And yeah. so he's like, no, 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 don't, don't look at him. Don't look at him, <laughs> cop or whatever. I just, I love that part. I don't know. That, oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite parts of the ending. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We, we talked about this a little bit with Network, but uh, Sydney Lumet is just amazing at getting these very small performances uh that that pay off so well like Mm -hmm. in network there's an actress and i can't remember if she won but she was definitely nominated for best supporting actress Mm -hmm. and she has like one scene in network Mm. and it's just incredible wow Um, i need to see that movie also the uh actor I, i won't get into too much with the oscars with this movie but the actor that plays uh uh al pacino's um partner i guess Mm -hmm. uh was nominated and he had what just a little more than one scene yeah right Right. so yeah um i also think some of al pacino's best acting is um after john cazal has been killed and they Mm -hmm. have him handcuffed on the hood of the bus and he just sees the you just see his face yeah you just see his face and he's the realization and everything his come down, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. just amazing emotive acting on mm-hmm. his part. Yeah. I love that. that's one of my favorite parts of his performance. Same here. Yeah. 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 Um Okay. Any parting thoughts or should we go into ratings and thumbs and that's it, let's rate it. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. Um Tiny, since this was your pick, um thumbs up, thumbs down, rating, and would it be on your great movies list? Uh, thumbs up for sure. Um, mm-hmm. and I gave it four stars on uh, Letterbox, and I'm gonna stand by that. I think that's a good rating. Nice. Um, maybe four and a half, but uh, yeah. And then definitely great movies list. I think it's uh, again the social commentary is is still relevant, but in a different mm-hmm. way than it was for for decades. Yeah. Um, and just the performances. Um, early Al Pacino was so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh. Yeah, Sydney. It's 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 a interesting Sydney 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 Lumet movie, very yeah. different from his other tentpole films. So, yeah, yeah, I love this movie. Uh, thumbs up, four stars. Great movies list. Yep. Nice, Ben. How about you? Um, I gave it four and a half stars. I think the only thing that holds it back for me, and this is really a minor thing, but I feel like it could have been a little bit shorter. I don't know where exactly it would have they would have cut out. But, yeah, uh, maybe a couple minutes shorter would have been ideal. But it, that's fair. It did seem to run a bit long. Like once we get past that kind of performative, kind of comedic, kind of opening and and first section, like when it gets to nightfall, really, it turns into something that's it. It it gets. I got a little bit tired of that bank. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm gonna say thumbs up. Four stars and definitely on a great movies list. Um, really, really loved uh, like uh, several aspects of this. The performance by Pacino and a lot of the like Kazale and the rest of them. Really, really fantastic. Um, so yeah, so that that yeah. Uh, it would also go yeah. on my great movies list. Oh, nice. Yes. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, that is those are our reviews. Um, of of the uh, of of these three movies, um, Ben, I completely forgot to prompt you for your Disney uh, uh, essays and stuff. What have you done recently on Midwest Film Journal with the Disney thing? And then we can pick our ones for next time, and then I'll go to bed. Um, 
Let's see. What was this week? Uh, this week was the um, Lady and the Tramp sequel, oh, which yeah. we all remember, so I don't need to go too far on that. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> um, next week is the Cinderella sequel, which I kind of liked, okay. nice. um, surprisingly. Um, and yeah. Nice. How uh, are you... How are you feeling about the project? Again, you're doing straight to straight to home video uh, Disney sequels for Midwest Film Journal. Um, I have taken a well deserved break nice. over the last uh, I don't know a couple weeks. Okay, um, but I definitely need to get back into it mm-hmm. uh, before it catches up with me. So nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes as always to to your essays on over there. Thank you. Um, yeah. Every Tuesday on Midwest Film Journal. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Okay, so now we are going to pick our selections for part 11 of the Hebert's Great Movies list uh, mm-hmm. series and uh pre-recording Ben asked or did you say that during the recording? I don't know. It's been a year. But um, <laughs> uh you are going to go last. Yes. So Please. I think that the plan is to to record the next episode sometime in October. And I pitched to you guys that we would do kind of horror or horror adjacent selections if we could. Mm-hmm. So having said that, Tiny, do you want to give yours? I'll give mine and then Ben can round us out. Sure. Um, right. I love the idea, by the way. Um, nice. I chose, I wanted to pick something I've never seen before, but then mm-hmm. this movie popped up and it's one of my favorites. Okay. 1979's Alien. <gasps> oh, yeah. Nice. One of my favorite movies of all time. And Same I, here. I haven't watched it in a while either. So, Ben, do you own a Very copy of that nice. by any chance? Never seen it. You never oh, seen it? Oh, interesting. A. Oops. Do you still own it, a copy of it, Matt? I do. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're good in Sweet. terms of that. It's okay. not on like HBO Max or... Yeah. I, I, I could have sworn it was for the longest time or somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. I I don't know. But uh, I, I could only find it like to rent on Amazon. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, realistically... Oh, I have nowhere. Well, maybe it's on AMC Plus. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, God damn it. That movie is so yeah. freaking good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome choice. Nice. I have uh, I have only seen uh, Prometheus oh, and God. Uh, bits and pieces of Alien versus Predator. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. So I, I'm an apologist for AVP. Okay. I, Interesting. Think, I, I think it's a fun movie. I like Prometheus. Um, so do I. I yeah. Like it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen avp or avp2 okay uh, yeah avp was uh one of the one of the ones that played when i worked at the movie theater oh so yeah go in like during my break and all that so nice yeah um great so yeah so your pick is alien mm-hmm. um and for mine i am going to definitely choose one of the best movies i've ever seen um 19 19- one of the best movies I've ever seen stalling to figure out what year it came (laughs) out Um, the incomparable and just uh, incredible okay there we go Um, (laughs) uh, 1960s Psycho sweet by Hitchcock we're returning to Hitchcock excellent (laughs) yes so that's my pick and uh, yeah Ben so so submitted for your approval um and I, I will say, since you said in the group chat, I have mm-hmm. receipts, uh, <laughs> horror slash thriller. Mm-hmm. So feel free to shoot this down if you guys don't agree. 
but there's a little movie coming out in October called No Time to Die. I don't know if it's on your radar at oh, all. Oh, okay. But to build up excitement for that, my pick would be 1964's Goldfinger. Uh-huh. Nice. Interesting. I... Since it's a thriller. <laughs> sure, we can say it's a thriller. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, no, that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, if not, I have a backup, so... Okay, Tiny? I'm cool with that. That's fine. Okay, you didn't see the signal. I'm kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding, joking. Okay, cool, yeah. Um, well, yeah, awesome. Um, um, have you seen it? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's currently only streaming on Pluto TV. Okay. But... I have it on Blu-ray. I mean, yeah, me Matt, too. I see your the Bond. Yeah, yes. I have the Bond box set, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it plus you have some, it too, Tony? Huh? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It it might be added in October. Yeah. So to something. So mm-hmm. yeah. now cool. the real question is: Is No Time to Die really going to come out in October? Oh <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> interesting, because you said you had said that there's a uh, it's related to a movie coming out, and like my immediate thought was like, okay, Dune. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think the I don't think the original Dune is on there, and then I and then I looked, and I was like. Oh, maybe he's going to do Blade Runner because Denny Villeneuve oh, did yeah. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, Halloween Kills? I couldn't think of anything else that was coming out <laughs> next month. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Nice. Um, I'm kind of shocked that the original Halloween is not on Ebert's list. Me too. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh-huh. I'm I'm going to I'm going to go back and research and see if he's if he had written anything. I'm sure he has. Mm-hmm. Uh commented on it cuz I'm curious cuz I, I don't know if he I don't know really how he feels about genre movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyways. But, yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for this monumental episode of <laughs> um, Obsessive Viewer, episode 351. Thank you guys so much for listening. You have our, we have our picks for next time. I think next up on the podcast, uh, I think Ben and I might try to review the card counter and the, the, the eyes of Tammy Faye. The eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, and then coming up soon, um, Mike may be making a return again. Uh, we'll see. And uh, and yeah, also, I just want to say, check out uh, Tower Junkies, which I did a very, very fun episode with... Um, uh, with with Kim C from the Year of Underrated Stephen King, it was a delight to chat with her about some Stephen King short stories. And on that subject, check out Stephen King's latest st- short story, Red Screen, which is available. Did I already mention this on the show? I did on Patreon, but um, basically today he released um, a new short story um, on uh, Humble Bundle, exclusively on hum- Humble Bundle, humblebundle.com. You can pay what you want because all of the proceeds are going to the ACLU and it's only going to be available to purchase between now, September 9th, and it's going to be one week only. So if you're listening to this one week after September 9th, you may be out of luck, but check it out. Um, it's for a good cause and Stephen King is great. Um, also, on that same note, I did do a guest appearance on The Year of Underrated Stephen King. Um, had a great time chatting with Kim C over there, so check those episodes out. And uh, yeah, I, that'll do it for this episode of Obsessive Viewer. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. 
Tenny, are you going to say bye? Adios. Okay, bye. <laughs> and now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Hi, Patreon, and probably people that aren't patrons um, (laughs) who are uh, tuning in because I'm actually planning on putting this up as a free episode um, on Patreon. Um, Given the context and the subject matter, the subject is, I mean, I'm just going to be talking very briefly probably about the new Stephen King short story, Red Screen, which is available right now. Um, on uh, humblebundle.com. And the reason that I decided to do this and do this as a free Patreon thing is because Humble Bundle apparently is a website that facilitates charity sales of, of stuff. Um, so uh, I'll actually read from stephenking.com. Um, let's see. So, uh, Humble Bundle is Humble Bundle Humble Bundle is a digital content retailer that builds charitable donations into each and every sale. I was picking up on little bits and pieces like like when when uh the suspect says something to Wilson, I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh, okay. That could potentially put into into context something from like the from a couple of pages ago and I was just like my brain was working as I was being involved in the story and I just thought that was really cool it's just an it's just an example of king being able to just really captivate his audience in a very quick and brief um encounter it's it's really great and this story because it's so short i mean it is one of the shorter stephen king short stories that i've read but it feels like this is going to again i'm just going to sound so uh so um clichéd and trite and everything but um it feels like i went to like the coffee shop and uh, was in line and ran into Stephen King. And Stephen King is like, hey, let me tell you this fun story. And it's just like he just told the story um, to me and everything. That's my headcanon. That's what I'm going to pretend happened. But, um, <laughs> but what's really interesting about it is that it also is an example of King playing with a concept and an idea. And even in this short form, kind of unraveling it in a very steady and and deliberate manner. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. 
Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at towerjunkiespod.com and at towerjunkiespod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!